This is Urasawa Boys, a podcast where you read and discuss the works of uh, manga artist and author Naoki Urasawa. Uh, right now, we're reading Monster, and Monster deals with a lot of dark and troubling topics and themes, so a list of content warnings is going to be available in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Fennell. Welcome back to Urasawa Boys. Uh, you see, here's here's what happens on this podcast. Um, for those of you who are jumping into episode 17 of Urasawa Boys Raw, we are we are reading Urasawa. All right, let's get to it. Um, there we go. <laughs> there, uh, there it is. Chap- 17 would be a fun one for people to start off. I you know, podcasts I like this, so. I would cheap. I would never listen out of order i know you know we've had discussions about right, how right. the two of us listen to podcasts i if something is serialized like this i will listen to it in order or if it's um you know because we're going to start covering other books what i might do is like yeah. pick one that i've read and only listen to those episodes but yeah. i'm i'm so i listen to serialized stuff in order otherwise i'll kind of jump around and you know, listen yeah, I mean, to like a, a season, ones that I find a interesting. Seasonal show like this, yes. like I would find the season I wanted to start with. Although, yes. knowing me, I do prefer to just start at the start, even yeah. then. Like just keep things start at the start. You know, yes. like well, then again, just keep things. You do want to start at the start with that one because the whole the whole method there. It's the method, yeah. And I yeah. have kind of because I know we've talked about you are pretty much always you listen from the jump for podcasts, right? You go. But, through I and... mean, this is how I am with everything. I listen to albums in order. I watch okay. TV shows in order. I mm-hmm. am just. Uh, I think it's a minor neurodivergence thing. Frankly, is I just to me things have a proper order. You start at the start. You read or listen all the way through, and then you finish. No, I mean, I, I definitely know where you're coming from, and I, there's, I'm, I'm that way with, I mean, I think we've talked about it with video games. A lot of times, I'm that way. If mm-hmm. there is, because I always find it very hard to go back to preceding entries after I've played a sequel, um, sure. just because of a lot of times there's like quality of life upgrades and things, and it's like yep. I'm going back to something that feels worse. So like that's why I haven't played The Witcher Three because I want to play The Witcher Two. Um, like that's the specific example that I know you, <laughs> you and I really have talked about. You really want to play The about. Witcher too, huh? I, I want to play The Witcher too. I, I don't know oh, why. Man. Can't explain why. Um, yeah, we have talked about this on the podcast. Even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. And I said, watch Joseph Anderson's videos on it. And that's still what right. I'm going to say. Just yeah. Watch those videos instead of playing that kind of dog shit game. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's but, been, here's the thing about playing Baldur's Gate 3. It has made me, that was, I was, I had to just like make the decision. I'm not going to play Baldur's Gate 2. And I, it was one the, because the last time that I tried to play Baldur's Gate 2, it was, I'm not going to play Baldur's Gate 1 because I've tried playing that game and it's too old. And yeah, I, mean, I, well, will, I, I, I did try to play the first two Witcher games and I'm like, <sighs> wow, these things are actually like so bad they are not fun i to installed play. witcher one and clicked i did one action because i think you click to move places in that game i'm not 100 yeah, percent sure i clicked once and he started to move and i immediately alt f forward and uninstalled the game absolutely <laughs> one absolutely. interaction with it you know you know what a game reviewer i have a lot of respect for i really do like mandalore gaming um okay that guy plays he plays a ton of like older games 
and a lot of old adventure games too. Um, and that's I just think that's a fun niche. Shout out Mandalore Gaming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, needs a new oh, but, needs a new gaming channel to check out. Oh, absolutely. You always need more guys. This is kind of you know I true I hate to talk about something that's a bummer, but we're living in an age where a lot of really good game publications are shuddering like more oh, and more yeah, yeah. there's lots of layoffs and i have found it harder and harder to have you know long like game podcasts that i like so i and i part of it just might be i you don't, know, I'm get- I don't even like like game podcasts to me game podcasts make no sense i will read I, I i will listen to a book podcast i'll listen to a movie podcast but for some reason a video game podcast it's like i don't get i don't get anything about what's happening in the game from a video okay. game podcast i don't i don't get to watch it i don't yeah it's just it's just talking i uh, you know like yeah this is theory, interesting sure, i but. i really liked well i was a big um in undergrad well the progression that i had specifically was um there were it's kind of funny which were they were it was like greg miller and his guys from ign it was the thing that mm. they started they, it was like they were one of the first groups to like we're gonna do our own thing on patreon um and i actually this is just like i'm really showing my ass here on like the 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 how i have become a socialist this is here we go this is a fun story actually wow um through video game podcast so back in 2014 and 15 when i was in college was when i really started using twitter like i became a twitter user um and one of my favorite people to follow on twitter was screenwriter Max Landis, who I'm sure you know, like, uh, Quinn, when indeed. I say that, yeah, I mean, because you were on the, you're a couple years younger than me, but, like, we we're, we run in the same nerd spaces enough where it was, like... Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Dirk Gently fan. Yeah, Max Landis, uh, which, like, skipping to the end of the story first, Max Landis, um, after Bright came out in, like, 2017, a whole bunch of credible allegations of sexual assault from, like, all of his... Uh, former partners dropped and uh he's i mean it was he was revealed to just be like a horrible sex pest um right. and uh I, it, was, it was that was around the same time that like uh nick robinson who is who is another link in this chain um same same thing with him right but anyway right Ma- max landis was on greg miller's podcast because greg miller is a big superman guy Max Landis did a whole bunch of videos and then eventually comics about Superman and was like happy to just show up on your on your podcast at that point in time. That's like what he was doing. That's how he had notoriety. He was just like he was on Screen Junkies a lot and stuff like that. Uh I watched a lot of his video content. But anyway, Greg Miller, kind of funny. They have like just a culture podcast and then they had a games podcast. So I was listening to their games podcast for a while and they would often have guests I think they had they had Jeff Gersman and Alex Navarro of Giant Bomb on one year during like E3. So then I started listening to Giant Bomb, um, and specifically like the Beast Cast is what I was listening to, which was Alex Navarro, Vinny Caravella, Dan Riker, Abby Miller, um, and uh, Austin Walker would show up on that from time wow. to time because he used to work at, at Giant Bomb, and from him I started listening to Waypoint. And Waypoint was like the thing that that's how I became a leftist, just like listening to Waypoint a lot. What so, a fucking, and it's, I mean, it's wild that just like what a it's, and it is the 2010s tale. Oh, yeah. It is the most 2010s cishet, like white video game <laughs> dork way to become a leftist. Just like that. 
Yeah, yeah, those, totally. That link of change. I mean, like, the Double Fine Adventure is in there a little bit, too, because when I watched that, I followed a bunch of the devs on uh, that, and, you know, they all were tweeting about unionizing yeah, what and did stuff it, like what that. Yeah, what did it for me? I, I think, like, I would, I would uh, even in, like, high school or something, I would have considered myself, like, a like a socialist or market socialist or something like that, but my actual politics were kind of, were kind of blah, and, uh, and what actually got me there was Disco Elysium. Because, you know, I kept picking I kept picking the centrist, the centrist options, and eventually the game was like, Hey, you're a fucking bitch. I was like, Oh <laughs> man, they're right. I they am got a me. Bitch. They got me. <laughs> um but it's uh that that was uh that was so that was a that was a long story of saying that um video game podcasts I've always been a fan like i listened to him a lot in college the thing that i always liked was i well, like it all the sites that i liked were more per- personality focused than um than just pure coverage but i it was a it was a way that like i learned about a lot of indie games um and just kind of uh it was it was they they were a big part of my life and a lot of them are gone now and i've stopped listening to a lot of them uh so that's a long way of saying thank you for your mandalore gaming recommendation always looking for another guy to tell me about video games oh one other one other quick shout out when we're talking about listening through podcasts a podcast that i've been listening to recently that i have been listening through in chronological order because they are building a method in a way that is very similar to the just king things method um and i've i've talked to you about this and recommended it because i think you'd like it um Mm -hmm. Kunzelman recommended this one on Range Touch, one of their shows. It's uh, it's a podcast called The Iron Age of Comics. Right, yes, um, God, I gotta, I gotta, I do gotta. I really that. like it. It's the the two hosts. It's um, Jim Cannon and Justin Zyduck, and they've basically the whole pitch of the show is they pro- they're proposing, you know, because there's when you talk about comics history, it's like you've got the Golden Age, Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and then most of the time after that, they call it the Modern Age. Like everything after the Bronze Age is kind of this one big monolith. So they're proposing. Um, saying, okay, after the Bronze Age, we're suggesting that, like, starting with Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns. Oh, I mean, I don't, that's not, they're not, It's like, not unique. unique, right? But no, the thing I mean, that that's they're saying is, like, speci- they're, they're specifically saying from then through 2000, the comic that they use to mark the end of it is Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and they're oh. really, they're really digging into, sure. like, yeah. what differentiates that era, like, I, mid-80s that's a through. Great, that's a great pick. That's a great yeah. point. Um, uh, so I, I listened to their Ultimate Spider-Man episode this yeah. morning, actually, um, and I've been going through theirs in order, and it's yeah, I've, and that's, I've that's really Bendis's, enjoyed it. Bendis's, right? Bendis's mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's Bendis. Yeah. Which I was going to ask yeah. if you've read any of that, because I have read the I have, first trade. I, I have, oh, I've read the entirety of Bendis's uh, Ultimate Spider-Man run, actually. Okay, I've yeah, I only read, read the first trade. Book. Yeah, it, I read it, is, it in college. It's a great Spider-Man run. It's really okay. good. You know, um, and I think calling it, like, era-defining is, uh, that's a great, it's a great pick. Because it really did, um, especially especially for Marvel, DC's era-defining thing was, to me, probably either Morrison's JLA, Morrison's mm-hmm. Batman, or potentially Identity Crisis. Um, yeah, which, which I a, know about that book. <laughs> oh boy, what a... Um, I wonder if they're going to talk about that. I guess that's more of a modern age than an iron age, so they probably won't. But, yeah, no, because they, they call that a, one out as uh, like... They say they their theory is that what directly causes that is Kevin Smith's run on Daredevil because they're like that is Whoa. what makes like Kevin Smith. It's like Joss Whedon writing for X Men uh-huh. comes after that. It's like you have all these right. guys who worked in TV and movies coming sure. into okay. comics after yeah. that. Yeah, 
I because Brad Brad oh. Meltzer was a uh, novelist and I think screenwriter before he did Identity Crisis. Jeez. All yeah. right. Well, okay. Anyway. We've got our, we've got our video game YouTube. We got our we got our Matt's path to to socialism, and we've got a little <laughs> bit of comic talk. I think we are ready to discuss Monster uh, Volume Seventeen, the penultimate the volume, first half of Perfect Edition Volume Nine. Um, second to last volume, second to last reading, and boy howdy, you can just hear the clicking of the roller coaster as it climbs oh yeah you there's know, a couple like, key moments in this one where i'm like definitely. this is the top of the hill here we go yeah yeah oh man it is so i think i think that the pacing in this volume might be the best in the series so far or at least like because different parts of the series have had different pacing goals right so I'll say this then: the pacing goals for this reading are very unique and exceedingly yes. well accomplished. Yes, I here's one thing I will say. So I, I've said this a couple times. When I first read this, I I enjoyed it. I think, but I was a little confused. Is maybe the word that I'd use because okay. it well, and there's there's a there's a few moments that I'll call out and kind of say like, well, I don't think that any of this comic has been filler. My only doubt or concern or thing that I mm-hmm. guess I noticed was it seems like it's, everything that we're doing here is is huge and important. It does feel like maybe we're getting into this a little last minute, and I think some parts sure. of it feel a little weird because of that. Um, I, I think, think that I, like this yeah. this is paced excellently, like you said. I just I do think it's weird that we go from how action heavy the last one was. And then we immediately kind of slam on the brakes with how this one starts. And it feels like something that would be more at home in the middle of this story than where we're getting it now as like, this is the finale. But maybe that's just, maybe I need to read the finale and then kind of reflect on that. Because I will say, second time through, I I think it hit a lot better for me. Well, I think that's an I think that's an interesting point to make. Is you know, and that's the question: like, could this stuff has, had have been set up sooner, right? Like, could right. we could we have begun to work with Ruhenheim and the people there sooner? Yeah, um, and I don't you know, even think like, hey, let's sprinkle yeah. this throughout the story because I don't think that works. I think that no. this only this works because it's one solid unit that we're yeah. running through in the way that we yeah. do. But it is, I, I mm, it's it's weird that. Like I said, it feels like we slammed on the brakes a little bit, and I don't, it's, I don't think like that's bad. On break. So here's, a, I, I think the interesting thing about this reading as a whole, and you know, this this perfect edition, the last two volumes, right? Mm-hmm. The the finale of Monster is this one long two volume thing. This is a movie, exactly. Yes. Okay. And and so, I think that it's the brakes slamming because this is the start of the last act you've been you've been asking this whole series how do we how is there a couple more volumes how is this and the answer is because what would be like one volume's worth of stuff we are now seeing at a level of granularity that would that that fills out two volumes Mm -hmm. right like we zoom in so close both place-wise and time-wise on the events in ruinheim here in this here in this last volume uh, that the it's it functions very differently 
than the rest of the manga does. And so this last perfect edition is really like a capstone, a single entity that, you know, it's like, it's like everything leading up to this was like the TV show. And then this volume is like the big budget movie that wraps mm -hmm. up the TV show, you know? Um, and so he has to kind of start this story from scratch uh, in what is perhaps the greatest Urasawa open of all. Um, you know, like this entire beginning of this, uh, of, of this reading is like an Urasawa open for an entire town. What, what it's is this good. town? Who are the people here? Why does this have anything to do with what we're doing? And we don't really find out for several chapters. So, you know, just think of this as Urasawa taking all of his methods and, and zooming in. Uh, working them at a different scale than we're used to, um, to create a finale that is, you know, in my mind, it's so strong. I can really remember the feeling of this of this last volume, and and part of that is the difference in detail. Uh, and so, mm, man, yeah, um, there's there's another reason I think that maybe this didn't hit as strong for me the first time through, yeah. but I'll I'll talk about it when when we get there. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I mean, and that's not, you know, of course, a... there's there's a couple of stumbles. There's a couple of things where I'm like, eh, but uh, uh, yeah. So. I th this is not to say I did not enjoy this reading because I really did. I mean, mm -hmm. I just finished a second reread for the notes. Very good. Liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll bring it up when we get there, and I, I think you'll I think you'll 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 like my my reason. I'm um, excited. Yeah. So, okay. I wanna... guess we can just get started. Um, chapter one forty two. I forgot to write down the titles for each. Um, let me grab it. 142 is I'm back. We open right where we left off. Nina holding Johan at gunpoint, ready to tell him a really scary story. But Johan hijacks the narrative and tells the story of the massacre at the Red Rose Mansion and what he saw. He was taken to the mansion and locked in a dark room with no walls and strange dimensions for several days, quickly losing his sense of self. Meals would appear from time to time, and Johan had the sensation of being watched over camera. Eventually, a door opened, and Franz Bonaparte pulled him from the room, saying that human beings could become anything. Johan wandered around the mansion, running into important government officials all there for a party, who all seemed shocked to see a child there, but eventually understood that Johan was the superior child, critical to their plans for the nation's glorious future. A toast is raised, wine is drunk, and everyone starts to die. Johan runs from the party, cutting himself on the thorns and roses around the mansion, and makes it back to the Three Frogs, where he said, I'm back, and Nina said, welcome home. Johan then told her everything he'd seen. We cut back to the present, with Nina screaming, no, and then we cut away. Tenma races to the ruined house where Johan and Nina were facing off, and finds Nina collapsed on the ground, crying, holding her gun to her head. Tenma is able to talk her down and attempts to calm her, but Nina is distraught. She says that she wasn't the one who said, welcome home. She was the one who said, I'm back. We get a panel where we see the two of them, identically dressed as Nina, and realize that Johan's story is all secondhand. He heard it from Nina. Johan wasn't at the Red Rose Mansion. Nina was. Hmm. Man. And, and for the first time, we... We see everything, all of this stuff. I mean, what, half of this series, we've been seeing these bits and pieces? This has been the whole back half. It was like, that's how we started with Nina's flashback of this. 
Um, and it's, yeah, so my first note is, okay, it's like, well, I, I guess this is a question for you. The first mm. time that you read this, was this a revelation yeah. for you or had you pieced it together before we got here? That Because we have said we were pretty sure it was Nina that was in the mansion, not Johan. Personally, God, you know, first time I read it so long ago, I'm, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I thought. I, if I had to guess, though. I think Urasawa leaves. I think he makes it pretty clear before before this chapter. Um, I'd be interested to hear what like some of our listeners thought. Like, did they see? Like, did they see this coming? Uh, did they know? Um, you know, because I don't know though. Because like, even with, I think Urasawa is too good at faces. I think he made it too clear every time we saw Johan saying "Welcome home." You see the little face on that kid. Yeah, that's a Johan. You know, and then the and second then, we see that I'm back, it's like that's a, that's, that's a Nina. That, yeah, it's a Nina. Like there was there wasn't a question in my mind. Um, you know, so I that's how I feel about it myself. Um, there's a lot to like about this chapter. Yeah, I feel like. But it what's really uh is, what's your first yeah. note? My first note is is that it feels just really good for all of those questions to be answered and for mm-hmm. all of those puzzle pieces to finally be turned into a whole puzzle. You know, we've been the, the readers have just been like wondering. We've been like, well, how what's this? How does this fit together? What's the timeline here? Who was there? Who's this? Who's that? And now, oh, it's all in one place. One one place. You've you've put the last piece into the jigsaw puzzle and you. And you sit back in the and and it's full and you can see the whole picture and you're like wow, yeah it's um it's 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 solid um okay jumping into content for a second uh yeah. the 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 dark room that seems to obliterate your sense of self this is mm. this is interesting and and spooky and scary I mean we've had. Children in the like in the last chapter there was Kristoff yeah. saying this thing about Kinderheim five one one hiding in the in the you know the the pantry and we've yeah. seen flashes i think of you know someone being uh, in the dark yeah okay was stuck in the locker yeah right but there's i there's something specifically about it was a room with no walls you couldn't tell up from down everything felt weird and you started to forget who you were it's mm-hmm. this um I don't know if it's like if the if the the reading group or if it's this thing here is like the key part of I guess like the Bonaparte method, right? Like hmm. this kind of isolation and severing of connections is the thing that uh just destroys your sense of self. But it's uh it's 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 spooky. It's creepy. Yeah, it is really spooky. Um you know, and uh based on the meals uh you know was in there a little over a week maybe. And um, right, and like she counts right out days. There. I think she yeah. gets to like twelve or thirteen. Um, well, she counts she... out meals, and she gets to okay. twenty-one or twenty-three. Okay, um, which you know works out to about a week or so, assuming she's being fed three times a day. Which uh, who knows? But, yeah, yeah who's, who's, who's to say? I think she also mentions that she hears like screaming coming from outside. So it's like yeah. there are multiple types of human experimentation going on yeah, in this mansion um and i like the detail that all of the like government officials are like concerned that there is a child here in the mansion um and then realize like oh no 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 no, no. you're you're one of the special ones okay yeah. well not not one of them the you're the special, special one it's yeah. the child you know um and one thing that i really liked about that party is you know it's all pov you know from mm-hmm. uh from nina's from nina's point of view and it feels very much like 
being at an adult party as a child. You know, all yeah. these flashes and you're like, oh, these people talking, you can barely even like hear them. They're just, you know, it's just murmuring. And then, you know, the individual shots of like the wine glasses and this just like bits and pieces. It's too big for you to take in all of it. Uh, and it was, uh, I think it's uh, depicted really, really effectively to get you kind of into that headspace. Yeah, I was um I was, uh, I was a theater of, uh, kid. Aspect to aspect transitions here. Uh, <laughs> um, I was I was gonna say I was a theater kid in middle school and high school. Um, yeah. and mostly it was musicals is what our school did. Um, and I was in Sound of Music. Um, and I played one of the the Von Trapp children. My favorite part of that play, the part that was the most fun to be in, is the end of the first act. Is like they have a big fancy party at the house, and it's like. Um, it's, it's exactly what you said, right? It's like your, your kids and you're running around this fancy party. There's like, there's good bits in that, in those scenes, there's good songs. And then the other thing that was like, especially fun as I think I was in like sixth grade when I did that, that was our school was, you know, I went to a small church school. We were first grade through high school. So it was like the main actors in this thing were all the high schoolers who like when you're in middle school, you know, high schoolers feel gigantic and enormous, right? So it was like, I, and that was like one of the scenes where we we got to interact with a lot of the high schoolers Uh and it was, so yeah, that's a, that's a cool feeling. It's, it's fun to be a kid in an adult party. Um, And it is like a little uneasy and scary sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a world that you don't have a place in yet. mm -hmm. Um, And you're just kind of running around hoping someone gives you some sparkling apple juice um mm-hmm. and uh and yeah franz bonaparte does not drink the wine he looks kind of surprised when everyone dies so i'm not really sure like, yeah. what is up with that i i feel like but it was was it his plan was it not Who's i don't know I, is it? maybe Who we'll talk about this because like we've we've been over here assuming that johan did the poisoning yes Johan wasn't even fucking there yes nina sure as fuck didn't poison everybody there but franz bonaparte did right. franz do it did you, did Carl Chopic? You know, like what? Like, did we? Um, I forgot to bring this up last time to ask you about it, and I can't remember. Is it uh-huh. the thing at the end of the first half of this story? Um, the thing that Shewald tells Carl to tell uh, Tenma is that the mother of the twins is still alive. Yeah, is she still out there? Will she make a surprise reappearance? Maybe at the end uh. of this. The mother of the twins is alive in Prague. Didn't she? Yeah, but it, um, was that even true? I don't know. I mean, we they Did didn't find her. Did that ever get her. followed up on? I don't think we, we ever got confirmation of her death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. All Maybe. right. <laughs> that would be an, that would be a weird thing. That would be a weird uh string to leave to leave untied. Yeah. Uh, at the at the end of this, but you're right. We haven't done anything with that. I don't think. God. I don't think. No, I don't think we did. So I don't. I don't know. Well, maybe maybe Hard just a loose end. Yeah, we'll um, find out. Yeah, you know, nobody's immune. Um, I really like the uh, you know, when when Nina's like yelling no at Johan, mm-hmm. very spiky, very yeah. spiky text box there. I love all the this this space where they're having their confrontation because we we did talk about this last time. We're like, what is there any significance to this building? And it doesn't appear to be. But I no, do think it's, it's like. Just... It's a cool place to set a confrontation. Yeah, I mean, it's um, your prerequisite 90s bombed out warehouse, you know? Yeah, like, with Johan's got the upper ground, you know, he's standing on the second level of this. Uh, yeah, Hollywood's got like five of these hanging out in back lots, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's such a standard Yeah. of the time. 
uh, we were talking, you know, there was that, there was that shootout and, and, uh, was it another abandoned warehouse or, oh, I can't remember, but, but, uh, Monster is definitely in that proud 90s tradition of just, like, dilapidated buildings, yeah. you know, and yeah, people yeah, with yeah. guns in them. It's before great. we realized that all of those uh, uh, abandoned buildings meant that wealth disparity was on the rise and the economy was going to lock us into oh, right. kind of neo feudalism for the rest of our lives. Yeah, and then we, uh, and then we kind of it was it was less. They were less fun. They were less romantic yeah. after that. Um, <laughs> once again, Urasawa uses the "we hear shots from outside the building" thing. It feels like he's dialed that shit up. The last couple of readings, like I, it happens a lot this the, time. It's most good of the as time hell. we see a gunshot. Now we don't like we only hear the gunshot, mm-hmm. and I, like it, it is feels funny like something to... you would do in a '90s kids cartoon to avoid showing people actually uh, being yeah. shot. <laughs> yeah, a bit. It is. It is kind of funny, and it's like, man, I don't know. It's. I guess it does keep the tension up because we don't know who's shooting who. But I am feeling like it gets a little overused. I'm like, like, come yeah. On. It really also does kind of feel like a Western comics move to me. Like, I feel like that is something I see every time I try to pick up a new Batman run. Is that's what we're gonna do? Is we're gonna <laughs> cut away if someone gets shot or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's interesting. I I um I like I, I like the uh, I like Tenma talking Nina down from yeah. this position that she's in yeah. um and i guess actually i was kind of surprised that he just immediately goes for the gun like just takes it out of her hands but i guess like she doesn't want to kill herself because we know that one of the like one of the other theses of this story is no one really wants to die right yeah um yeah. so it's you know that it is this easy for him to just kind of talk her down um but you know, not to dismiss it as oh, it was it's a breeze. It's like it's the strength yeah. of their connection. It's the yeah. it's this uh, mutual journey that they're locked into. Yeah. And, trying and to... the other thing is that like, you know, uh, Nina feels even more responsible for Johan mm-hmm. than she already did. She already felt pretty responsible, um, but now now she's she's like oh fuck. Like he's just been going around with all this, with all this in his head, and he's a monster because I told him about what I experienced, you know. Which I mean, let's talk about that. How do you yeah? There's a lot to talk about here. Man, woof! It is so chunky and juicy. This whole idea that Johan's defining experiences weren't even his. Yeah. Um, Wow. I have I have a a lot of different thoughts about this. I think my first thought is this is kind of similar to Lunga's method is he becomes the killer and Indeed. like traces through their steps. And the thing that made me notice it was when Johan is telling Nina the story, you know, when he gets to the part about I ran through the rose bush and cut myself on the thorns, he is then like in present day holding his arm as yeah. if he's been cut, which that is the way that the physicality to it is like what Lunga does as he walks through. Like we've seen him do it as he goes through crime scenes. Like he's mimicking the the physicality as a way to get in the headspace. But it's like, so I, I don't know if there's any constructive like reads or anything that we can do from linking those two things together. I just at least, at the very least, I think that that's interesting 
Um, Definitely. Uh, so and then uh, so that's that's my my first take on it. My well, second kind one, of what it tells us. Oh, oh, sorry. Go on. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Because well, my second take is a different makes one. Me, what what that makes me think of is like the concept of identity, right? Johan's mm-hmm. position is that he doesn't exist, and we've already right. been over here like, oh, he does exist, but this almost he almost doesn't, and yet, oh my god. Okay, so. Johan, as he has conceived of himself, is entirely based on memories that did not belong to him. Mm-hmm. Right. So the Johan, as we knew him, did not exist really. It wasn't Johan. It was Johan like taking Nina's stuff and running with it. And it's really interesting because as we see Johan in, I don't know, next chapter or something like that, he's talking about... um how he's awoken from a dream. And this Johan does exist after having, you know, awoken. This one does exist, but he has even less to his name as a person than he did when he was faking being Nina. Um, you know, it's, it's just this really interesting thing of, of like, like what Lunga does is he adopts identities. He adopts memories and experiences and feelings and processes through them to try and predict the killer's uh, uh, next move, you know. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, and Johan did the same thing with Nina. He incorporated all of Nina's feelings and, and experiences. But crucially, his math was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like Nina... Nina just didn't... Nina did not come back and decide that life was meaningless. And this can also be like Kinderheim and everything, right? It, it's all it's all working together. So I don't really know that I'm going to be able to come to a conclusion. But the mechanics, the mechanics of Johan, we have so much more insight into them now than we ever have. So the, the other thought that I have on this section is... Um... This thing that's happened, this kind of Johan being able to absorb Nina's memories. I mean, it almost just seems like they traded them. I mean, because like this yeah. is the thing that Nina has not been able to remember. Like she has lost this memory. And for Johan, it's like the the core thing of him. Right. So it's like she has given it to him. He's taken it mm-hmm. from her. Um, so, and I don't know if this is like, I don't know exactly what has caused this, like why it has radicalized Johan, but not Nina. Um, like if it it has something like, I mean, Nina, it was a traumatic memory and Nina forgot it because it was traumatic, but Johan, because he wasn't there, because it didn't really happen to him. It didn't really happen, but he, it's just another story. Yes. A story, but he created a false version of it that he basically, um, he basically placidoed himself, placeboed yeah. himself into having, into having trauma to a degree that very few people would actually be able to live with, right? Because Nina's brain couldn't handle it. She mm-hmm. forgot. Johan, because he had a fabricated version, a copy, he has this trauma that shouldn't be possible. Yeah, and it it feels like this is like maybe we can make some comment about like <laughs> ideology that's not based on actual material conditions or something mm. like that. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Where it's like you have a lot of people who are, you know, very reactionary about, you know, their assumptions on things and how they think that things are without actually yeah. ever having like any of that life experience and how that's yeah. maybe toxic and bad. Uh, but I, I don't think that's like something that's in the text. I think that's just yeah, like, I, yeah. you know, not doing that. we can use that as an example to talk about Definitely. this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, you, really, I, you really see here how... You know, Johan, Johan, like, this explains Johan seeing himself as Nina. It wasn't just that he, like, oh, he thinks they're the same person. He literally incorporated her into himself. Oh, you are me. I am. Yeah, it's because. Exactly. Okay. okay. So yeah. this is, because I was trying to figure out, like, is the program the thing that kind of destroyed this barrier of self between them? Is it something that Johan has done? It seems like this is the conscious choice where now this is where he's saying the. Um, I am you, you are me, we're, we're the same. Yeah, you know, he's, like he's Or maybe, because, okay. because you know what this reading doesn't doesn't answer? Why Johan is being dressed as, as a girl. <laughs> yeah, because, I guess you're right. That's just be, kind of unaddressed. Because, like, obviously, you know, being well, like, here it's in not 2023, like it was there's hide... nothing inherently weird or wrong about that. And that no. was not even uncommon amongst, amongst children, especially, like, at the turn of the 20th century. Yeah. But we, I don't, was it part of the Bonaparte program? Like, my best guess is that this was Franz Bonaparte trying to make them into the same person. Okay. Because I wasn't sure if, like, had anywhere. they, had the twins and the mother escaped from the Red Rose Mansion? And then maybe, no. like, okay, they're still under, no. yeah, because I wasn't, because yeah. my thought was, like, well, maybe this is a way for her to, like, hide them, right? Like, what are you talking about, twins? I just have one small girl. <laughs> Oh, as man. a way of that like further be, hiding you know be, fuck does the next reading answer any of this i don't remember i don't know Jeez, we're still, <laughs> and that's the other fun part right is that all of these questions are answered and we still have questions yeah yeah, yeah. Still I, do. I, it's, and they're it's good, good questions you know it's a great it's a great proportion of uh answered to unanswered i feel good like. yeah no i agree all right uh is that 142 yeah, that's one forty-two. Last note: um, When Tema finds Nina, she's got the ghost eyes that she has when she's a child in the hospital, having in mm. catatonic after shooting yeah. Johan. The that's ghost eyes are kind of a unique look. I like them. Yep. Yeah, that was one forty-two. So now we're on to one one forty-three. Okay. Chapter one forty-three: The place to go. Nina remembers again being taken from the three frogs and standing there at the party as 42 people dropped dead around her. As she recounts it to Tenma, she says that she's scared and she's back. Johan takes off his wig and asks, tell me everything. In the present, Mina tells Tenma that she told Johan what she'd experienced for days and days, and Johan thinks that those experiences were his, and she says that it's her fault. She says that as she was talking to Johan just now, she told him that, and he looked like he was smiling and also crying. She couldn't shoot him, but she's sure that he's going to destroy himself. And she says that she's going to destroy herself. And Tenma says, no. If you died, 
Where would I go? What would I do if anything happened to you? Please live. Carl Chopik has made his way to this 90s uh, wrecked warehouse and expects Johan to go after Franz Bonaparte next. He says that Johan has another copy of Nina's memory and asks, what in God's name did we set out to create? Agents of Johan, I expect, uh, shoot him. Shoot him in the head. Karl Tropic is, is dead. Tanma takes Nina and they walk off into the wasteland. As he says, there's a place for us to go somewhere. Cut to a very pleasant fellow standing outside a very pleasant cottage. He welcomes us inside and says he was just putting on some tea. It's a specialty. And he says, just let me know what I can do and consider it done. Who shall I kill? He asks Johan. Johan points at his forehead, implying that the guy should kill him. And Johan says that he's awakened from a dream. He says he's seen so many endings, and now he sees something different. A memory only he knows. The real place I must go. And he kills the killer that uh, was, you know, one of, his, one of his cultist buds. And the final panel is a lovely, creepy shot of his eyes as he walks away from the house where he just killed a man. Yeah, it seems like Johan's plan has changed again. Again? Um, yeah. And I definitely think that we can tell, we can tell how much of a different person he is now. Mm-hmm. Well, he keeps saying, you mentioned the phrase already, he keeps saying yeah. that thing, I feel like I've awakened from a dream. He says it a bunch of times. Uh, does, and yeah. the, the uh, I mean, he's done the, hasn't he done the, he's done yes. the forehead thing to Tenma. He's done the forehead thing. He did and it to, to Tenma. Nina. He did it to Nina. You know, it's his, it's his favorite so th thing. This isn't new, but like, no. it's, I, uh, there's something fun about like him just getting one of his goons to like, you know, ask, and his goon is just like horrified by this idea. Like, yeah, I love no, how, absolutely how, not. Like indignant. He's like, well, why have I saved all this money? Why did, why did I kill all these people? Yes. You know, like what, we had this whole plan. Like, he's offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's some diagonal panels at the start. Yeah, I marked um, the scramble panels. And I do think there's something interesting here, because when Johan is telling this story... No scrambles. Yeah. No scrambles, right? And it's kind of this hint that Johan... Johan's feelings on it aren't real. He wasn't right. actually there. But Nina's feelings are so sharp and powerful and emotional. That when we see those same things from her perspective, she's not making them up. And so they're they're scrambled. They're intense. Yeah. The other thing I like here is there's a we there's at the one panel to the next page, we go Nina recounting to Tenma how she came home and told Johan everything that she'd seen. And we go from a, a panel of Johan and Nina sitting on the floor facing each other with mm -hmm. her telling it, and then we cut to Nina, like Tenma holding Nina as she mm -hmm. tells him what has happened, right? It's it's similar image. But, you know, I think that the the distance between Johan and Nina in the first panel, right? Like he's almost like got this, yeah, I think this is reading into it too much, but it's like, you know, there's there's some distance. There's like 
almost like a scientific interest in the story yeah. that she's and telling the, whereas the way, like tenma the way is he moved says by it, it too yeah you know the way he says it he's like what happened tell me everything mm-hmm. it does you do kind of get the sense that johan is just has always been a strange little child yeah, I you mean, know? like, if we go all the way back, right, to, like, the blind Nazi mm-hmm. that Johan was friends with, like, the yeah. stories that he liked to hear about people in absolute yeah. terror, right? Yeah. It's um, it's that serial killer kid trope. Um, but oh. I, I like that even just in those two small panels, like, I can I can pull that and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, it's mm-hmm. the, the panel of Tenma, like, holding Nina as she is in this trauma. It's like, it's moving. It's good. I like it yeah, a lot. That conversation they have. What would I uh-huh. do? If something if something oh. happened to you, oh my god, you know. Like, did he like, thinks this is the only person who's left for him to connect to? Like this yeah, other person or, locked into this death spiral, yeah. chasing this monster. The like, only person who can understand, the only one that can relate, and and maybe the one person he's actually trying to save. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's constantly trying to save him too. It's good we've just got oh. these two broken people trying to save each other while the worst Man. boy in the world rips ass across Germany. Yeah, it's... and you know what? You know what is also great about about Tenma that I think this reading really hits home to me for some reason. Uh, in comparison to Nina, is that Tenma chose this. You know, yeah, Tenma really could have just chilled out at the fucking hospital and just been like, "Well, I." You know, uh, that sucks. Saved a serial killer. Whoops. Guess the cops will get him. But he di- he didn't do that. He right, because he, he gets back to the, the hospital and he leaves yeah, the hospital. Exactly. That's like the end of the first you volume. Know, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. He leaves, he leaves the hospital and he makes the choice. He says, I, you know, whether or not he's right, Tenma is a man that feels the weight of responsibility. And that makes him a really powerful character. And reading this manga and seeing the lengths to which he will go, you know, it's a, he is compelling. He really is. Yeah, it's good. Um, We already talked about it in the last one, but I think there's something to the idea that like, okay, the Bonaparte program is telling all of these stories to children to make them turn weird and evil. And, you know, this is their identity, you know, like, like if we're talking about the Bonaparte program is also what's like. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why Johan is is in in feminine dress, you know, um, if the idea is to dissolve identity, right, because they're making soldiers, that was Mm -hmm. still Bonaparte's idea is to make soldiers. And so you dissolve identities. That's a great way to do that. And, and I think like, kind of what we're seeing here is that identity and memory and connection, these are all what gives life meaning like i think that's a big thing that's happening in this reading mm-hmm. and so the bonaparte program is intended to deny identity deny memory and deny connection and mm. in so doing create people that have that that see no value in life that do not value your their own lives or anyone else's because those ingredients of meaning have been denied them right yeah so it's it's like the it's the unexpected side effect of like why this thing never works is that they always just end up tearing each other apart, right? Right, right. Crazy how that happens. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So the 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 program telling stories, denying selfhood, um, and then like you know what Nina has done here, like I said, is she has told uh, it, it, this is just another story to Johan. It's like this this yeah. story of the of the things that she had and telling it over and over again. 
Um, so I, I, you know, I, I marked it way back, I think, when the picture book was introduced. But I think in the wrap-up episode, probably, we should have a discussion about, like, okay, what is what is this story as a whole trying to say about the power of narrative and, like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah what narrative interpretation and and stuff like that like yeah in, stories in terms are definitely of, important yeah important what here. makes stories important and like what is this what is this story saying about stories yeah um it's interesting so. actually come to think of it i think history we talked last episode his, history, history and, and consequences, consequences. <laughs> um, but but again i i think history both as in as a literal like theme and as uh, like as a, as a theme in a story like a narrative theme and then also as like an actual thing is just something that Urasawa was fascinated with um master keaton that man's an archaeologist oh yeah history well billy bat that has so yeah, history is such a big thing the history of cartooning the history of of a lot um history in general very important for billy bat uh pluto there's, I mean, history is important. Well, Pluto's Pluto is just about history um, because it's a it's a rewrite yeah. of like the most important m- it, manga of all time, yeah, right? Like historical, you know, the first manga. It, it, you know, well, not not, not quite, the, but a very one of the one, one of, of the, the really, first really most ones. important ones. You know, yeah. um, and then uh, his current his current manga, um, Asadora history it's kaiju stuff, is right? Ninja, and that's another. No, no that's I not ninja it, stuff. No, 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 kaiju, not ninja. Yeah, exactly. Asadora's kaiju stuff um, in ways that are fucking fascinating. And I need to catch up on it, actually. I haven't caught up in a while. Um, But yeah, so just like this, the idea of history, right? Of people in the present looking back into the past in search of truth and meaning and what the present means. I think this is foundational to Urasawa as an author. And I think this is a great manga to illustrate that. Yeah, D- definitely a good one to start with. I think Monsters probably his most famous one, yeah. right? It's his most famous. It's yeah. it's definitely. I think it was a good one to start with. Um, it primes us for a lot of other stuff that's important to Urasawa, um, and it's kind of I think really at the center of his of his oeuvre. Um, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Ugh. I think that's right, oeuvre. Yeah. But yeah. the, um, the French aren't going to come in here to correct us. God, I hope And if not. they do, um, I can't speak French, so that doesn't mean anything okay. to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um, can't read. This sign won't stop me. Exactly. Uh, 143. Do we have anything else to say about 143? I have a couple. Yeah, I like the I shot of Tenma and Nina yeah. walking off into the wasteland together. Yeah. That, man, you know, it's now so it's them good. instead of Johan and Nina. Yeah, um, yeah, Tenma and Nina. You know, before Johan and Nina, they were the only ones that they had in the whole world, and now Tenma and Nina are the ones that have each other in the world. Yeah, you know. Um, I also like that Chopic gets blasted right after he kind of realizes that he's done a horrible thing. Like, good. <laughs> I think it's good that you realize you've dedicated your life to a horrible program seconds before you are blasted. <laughs> That's that's poetic <laughs> cinema to me. That's how a bad guy should go. Yeah, no, it is good. It is very, very good. Um, the whole sequence with the with Johan's pawn, mm. you know, the pleasant man in the sweater. I yeah. think that's great. I think it's so fun to be in Johan's point of view here. Yes, it's good. I like this. So yeah, um, and again, yet- when Johan shoots this guy, we see it from outside the house. 
We just hear the gunshot. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> yeah, there it is again. I'm really one when we start once you notice reading, it, you can't unnotice it. Yeah, yeah, for real. And and I got it. Like when we're reading his other work, like is it the same thing? Is it a fucking? <laughs> is this the constantly outside, happening? Yeah, like the outside shot. Is this just like an Urasawa move? It's so fun. Okay, man, lot of plot out of these chapters. Yeah. We're and lots, talking a lot. Lots to fucking go. Lots to go. To this, uh, I don't think this is going to be one of those. The rest will go quickly. Episodes. No, this is a five star runtime. Five star I podcast. Think so five star podcast. Five star runtime. Okay, uh, let's let's kick it with chapter one forty four then, Matt. Chapter one forty four, Ruhenheim uh, or Ruhenheim. I I don't know. Ruhenheim. Uh, yeah. Ruhenheim. We, will, we will talk in detail about what it means. Um, mm-hmm. Chapter 144, Detective Lunga arrives at a quiet town that matches the drawing on a postcard he carries along with him. He meets some of the locals who are skeptical of him and then checks into a sleepy hotel where an elderly couple is also staying. The owner of the hotel is an older man who talks to the young boy named Wim about his rusty old bike, telling him that despite what the older boys who tease him say, it's a fine bike. Lunga agrees. After checking in, Lunga visits an antique store looking for Czech picture books. The owner says he doesn't have any and remarks on a story in the newspaper. It seems that there's another series of unconnected murders happening across Germany, and every victim of these murders seems to be tied to other previous series of unconnected murderers. Someone is murdering the murderers. Uh, Lunga rushes to the local police station and asks how quickly backup can be phoned in if needed, and suggests that all new visitors to the town should be thoroughly investigated. Wim crashes his bike, and the police tease him while trashing it. After they leave, a tall man with a duffel bag shows up. Back at the hotel, Lunga talks to the elderly couple and the owner about writing letters to family and how you can say things in letters that you can't say in person. He resolves to write a letter to his grandchild and wishes he could draw something to send along. The old man looks sad, but is quickly pulled away to help another unexpected guest check in. The page turns, and we see who it is. Air Grimmer. Fuck yeah, Grimmer! Fuck yeah, he's back. Grimmer's fucking back. Best boy, he's here. We love him. We love him. We love to see him. Yeah, um, remember remember last episode when I said that Urasawa wasn't anywhere near done introducing characters? Yeah, they're all here. Everyone's here now. Yep, yep. Um, got... this, is, this is the first place where that thing about timing and kind of a little bit of a rush feels like it kicks in. Other than mm-hmm. Wim... I don't really know the names of any of the characters here. It didn't feel like we made a big deal of like introducing we... who these people are. No, no. Like names, you know? No. This, here's what, here's what this chapter in particular, but this entire last act is to me. Matt, this is as king as it gets. Yeah, this is needful things. Exactly. Yeah, this is, this, this is was my note. Yeah. Straight up and down needful things. It is uh-huh. literally mysterious people come to town give everyone guns and turn them against each other i mean literally that's how that book ends is like after just like after 500 pages of just like kind of people making people gossip and play pranks on each other and like giving them cursed objects it just ends with um ace merrill coming into town and giving everyone guns (laughs) it's i really like needful things back in high school i do too that that was the first um well maybe it was the second stephen king book i read because i think the kennedy Uh, one was the first it had to be early it was one of the first ones i owned that's for sure yeah um i've still got it i've still got it i love that book 
I lost my copy when I moved oh, back from college. Um, but yeah. I, I but it yeah, was well loved. You know this this small town full of these full of these you know like small town folk living small town lives. Yeah. Oh, the the fisherman. Oh, his wife always plays the lottery because she because she doesn't like him very much. Oh, you go. You got two hotels, and one of them never has any customers. You got a little antique store. It's literally. It is. It's so. It is so right on target for. It's for very King. Stephen it's King. Crazy. I mean, it's the way we're zooming around, kind of the bird's eye view of the town, mm-hmm. right? And like zipping into all these people's lives, kind of in like a circuit that we keep doing, right? Like we're seeing the same people every time as we go through these chapters, right? Yeah. Kind of in the same order, even. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it feels very king. It also, to me, oh, the feels very dad. oh yeah, dad. yeah 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 alcoholic dad who beats his kid. Fucking uh-huh. hell. Yep. Yeah. Um. The other thing that it feels to me is it feels very Twin Peaksy. Um, sure. Especially as the guns get introduced, there's a panel that keeps getting repeated of this of the three guns on the table, and yep. that feels like a Twin Peaks thing, right? Like where we have the shot that we keep returning to. Totally. Um. But yeah, extremely kingy. And um, so I think that was kind of why, like, you know, if I had come to this not having read Needful Things, I think I, I, because the effect of Needful Things is incredible. Like when it happens to you, you're like, oh, this town's going to tear itself apart. And it's like a roller coaster watching it happen. So I, it's, it hits a little less hard because it is a trick that I've seen before, but it's a trick that I like. It's a good one. I'm ready to see it again. And, and the implementation here is very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like the means by which we arrive there, uh, I think is I think is cool. And and you know, this feeling of like all of these characters, you know, sort of descending upon this town. Yes. You know, and it's this town and they didn't ask for this. This is the biggest example yet of people being dragged into monster. It's mm-hmm. not one person or a family. It's a whole it town. is an entire town that Johan has just pulled into the horror that is this fucking story. Yeah. Um, and I it, I think, as far as introductions go, like you said, you think this is like one of the best Urasawa cold opens. I think I'd agree. Because like, yeah. the expediency with which we get introduced to this town and like are immediately able to get its deal. Like, I think the tone of this chapter is so good. Like, it really sells that this is a sleepy, quiet town. Like, lots of empty streets that are like pretty wide. Right, like we we meet a lot of people, but it the the streets are mostly pretty empty, right? Like yeah. everyone's kind of laid back. It moves a little bit slower. Like um, it's it's good. I think it's the it's perfect tone and so different from everything that has come before. Yeah, totally. Um, and I just think it is, man. I'm so glad that we were like king people to some mm-hmm. degree. Because I'll be honest, I just feel like reading Monster without knowing without knowing your king. If you're trying to analyze it, I think you'd miss some pretty important stuff. Oh, one of my favorite things like, to do. Like straight up. Yeah, one of my I totally agree. Totally agree. One of my favorite things to do is make fun of anime fans who don't understand references to things that aren't anime. Um, it's it brings <laughs> me so much joy. This is like my toxic message board behavior. Uh-huh. Is uh-huh. like. 
oh, when you anime haven't fans... even read Needful Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe if you stopped watching your damn anime, you'd know what this is talking about. <laughs> totally. Totally. Maybe you should pick up a real book once in a while. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's um... yeah, read some read some words like the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs> yeah. You know, no. I really. I, I fight I against the hater chapter. inside of me every day. <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean the idea, like that's what we were saying. Like the fact that this isn't just introducing a single character, it's introducing an entire town. Yeah. You know, and all of the people in it. And yeah, these characters are more simplistic than previous characters. They have to be. Because mm -hmm. there's so hey, many more of them. Yeah, there's yeah. so many more, and uh, they're not sticking around. So we we don't need as much investment, yeah. right? But we, even so, like, it is that Urasawa and King, like, shared move of, I'm going to make you care about this character in five sentences. Yes. Watch. You know, and they do it. And it is, it really is so, each of these characters is just distilled, crystal clear, like, essence. And mm -hmm. Urasawa delivers it so, so expertly. It's really, really, really good. I um, love Wim and his bicycle. And I, it's like, this is, a, this is a screenwriter move, right? It's like, how do, we, how do you immediately love this kid? It's like, well, he's the dog that is being kicked by the villains in this town. Yeah. And it's like, so you totally. immediately feel bad for him, right? Like, yeah. the thing that they say, it's so mean that they say, you yeah. know, he's got this trash crappy bicycle. Trash. Yeah, it's... It's so mean. Um, man, and so it's I, I I love Wim. I'm skeptical of this old man. I'm I'm skeptical of what we're setting up for spoilers for the reveal at the end of this volume. Uh -huh. This old yeah. man is Franz Bonaparte, so I'm yep. I'm skeptical of what appears to be a we're building a redemption yeah. arc for this man Indeed. who would, is would, the architect how, of yeah you know the horrors of this story. But the horror, the horror, yeah. Um. Real quick, the Hotel Versteck, which uh, Franz Bonaparte is running. Versteck means hide. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that isn't that good? That's good. Uh, the other hotel in town, by the way, Birkbach, means mountain stream. So less thematic. Much more like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a sleepy mountain town hotel name. Yeah. I really like the um, the bit with Lunga in in the hotel where they're yes. talking about letters. Uh, you wanna you wanna take that? Yeah. Uh, uh, so Lunga sits down and is making small talk with the other guests at the hotel, who are this elderly couple. It's a, a man in a in a wheelchair, and then his his wife. And they start talking about their grandchildren, um, and they say, "Yeah, you know, like our son, our relationship with our sons is rough, but you know, we love our grandchildren so much." And then Lunga starts thinking about his grandchildren, right? And uh, the elderly couple says, yeah, they send us letters all the time. And he says, you know, like, I wish I could write a letter to my family. To which Bonaparte, you know, tells him, yeah, we, you can. Like, that's the nice thing about letters, especially letters to family, is like, you can voice these things that you don't feel like you'd be able to say in person. Uh, and this gets Lunga starting to think about it, which I fear we will have a tragic end for Lunga, and he'll mm. post date, he'll postmark a letter that will make it to his family after he's been killed. Oh but, man! Um, that, oh. but it's it's nice to see him have this moment of you know because he's thrown his whole life away for his career yeah. and yep. this obsessive chase that he's on, and there's been a few moments where he has felt bad about it. It does but seem this, like like as time goes on, he regrets it more and more, and he's like, dang. You know, he's, yeah. he's learning the importance of connection by going on this journey, Matt. 
by taking a vacation he was able yeah, to <laughs> taking, taking a vacation. that's one I of my favorite he... bits about lunga is yeah. how he just always you know makes it clear that he's on vacation it's <laughs> yeah. i really love the way that he says if only if hmm. only i could draw like it would like he really feels like it would be so much easier for him to express his feelings to his family in something that's not words which this man has autism <laughs> like like it's here it is you know like i feel, you know, I, feel I, I would say that there's probably like, a lot of um yeah. you know as, as gen z would say neurodivergent kings in this in this story <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed uh i also like when when lunka tells the kid that it's a nice bike oh i love that so good yeah you know I love that Lunga as a character has also changed over the course of this of this fucking thing. You know, so many of the big characters are are different than they were. Um, yes, and that's just it's great. You want to see it. Um, I like the design of the antiques guy. I like his little mustache, his big jowls, mm-hmm. his turtleneck. Really, just a, a home run, honestly, for a guy He's that's a only here for dude. a couple pages. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Grimmer's back. Grimmer's back. Anything Love else Grimmer. for 144? That's it for me for 144. All right. Okay. Chapter 145. A Quiet Gunshot. Grimmer arrives in town on the train. And here's a gunshot in the distance as we look over Ruhenheim. We follow, I mean, we don't know these guys. It's the, the fisherman and, and his wife, right? We follow this couple. And he's like, dang, did you hear a gunshot? And she's like, no, I didn't hear a gunshot. Get out of here. You're making, you're making me lose the, lose the lottery. Um, there's an old lady that has a dog that she loves. And she can't find the dog. Uh, Lunga and Grimmer decide to go out and, and go looking for it. Grimmer runs into a fella, asks if he's seen the dog. He has it. Grimmer asks, have you seen any unfamiliar people around? And the guy says, yeah, you. And Grimmer gives him a big smile. We talk to another couple people around town. You know, we learn that the dog is super noisy. Annoys everybody. Um, Lunga is suspicious of Grimmer. Wild. Who could have seen that coming? Um, we get a little peek in on Vim and his drunk father. And he's like, I need a drink. And he uh, tries to get Vim to go and uh, buy him a bottle with the money that uh, Vim made working at the uh, hotel. And uh, Bonaparte uh, puts a hand on his shoulder and said, don't do it. You earned that money. Meanwhile, at a butcher shop. Grimmer thinks the sausage is delicious. He's making his delicious face. Uh, and he talks to the uh, cashier at the butcher shop, which I just suspect is a Matt Fennell girl. Oh, yeah, the waitress um, at the hot dog store? Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. Matt Fennell girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and, uh, and Grimmer gets a clue from her as to the location of the dog. 
Uh, Lunga, on his own hunt for the dog, asks a police officer about the gunshot. And the police officer says, ah, that wasn't a gunshot. A car broke down on the highway. Um, and Grimmer and Lunga both find the dog uh, where it had dug up a bone that it had previously buried. And they have a little talk. Uh, they... You know, they're like, I know who you are. And it's kind of like the Spider-Man meme where they're both, where they're both like in the town uh, for the, for the same reason. And at the end of the chapter, Grimmer asks, do you think it can be stopped? The horrible massacre that's about to take place here. Good. I love the screen tone behind them as like they're having their last comments on this. It looks like fire a little bit. Like yeah. smoke or something. Like yeah, it's it's good. Um, it's good. Yeah, this is I, a maybe good... I maybe I don't have a lot to say about this chapter. This is kind of just like we're going around town and and learning about how much everybody dislikes this dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's this was this was the one where you know the last one, like you said, was really where it, it's Stephen King. This was the one where I noticed the Twin Peaks tone. I think was like because sure. one of the things that I think is fun about Twin Peaks, and everyone has said this always, right? Is like. Twin Peaks is a show that's operating in the format of a soap opera almost where you have all these right. different characters in town having their little, you know, soap opera drama. But then it's like you have this weird, horrible, supernatural evil that has ripped open the center of this soap opera town. And it feels like that's like what we're ramping up to oh. here now. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Man, yeah. I want you got to wonder, Twin Peaks came after Needful Things. Do you think there was some inspo there? Oh, I definitely thought about that at one point when I was reading. Um, I've looked this up before, and I can't remember if there's, mm -hmm. or maybe maybe they said this on Just King Things. Um, maybe I think I it's. Think so. I think it's. I don't think they talked about it much in the. Okay, in maybe the they didn't. Needful things episode. Let's see, just real quick. My brain, my brain doesn't isn't telling me they Needful did. Things, which... I think is ninety. Needful things is ninety one. Twin Peaks mm. is. Oh, maybe Twin Peaks is before that. No. Well. Twin Peaks is, starts in 1990. So they're just dating okay, so around. Or Twin Peaks ends in 91. So it's... 91. They're around oh, the same okay. time. So then, yeah, probably no influence. Um, interesting that they both... Huh. Okay, well, I guess that's a podcast for another day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, we, could, we could have a whole podcast about Needful Things in Twin Peaks. There's a whole episode in there, frankly, but that's yeah. not, not really Urasawa Boys. Um, is... Okay, I mean, is there anything about this chapter that really stood out to you, aside from the Matt Fennell girlfriend? Yeah, well, in that scene, uh, Grimmer saying, this is my delicious face, it is a funny phrase, like, that you mm -hmm. called out and it's good. Yeah. But then on a second read, I was like, oh, he can't do emotions or faces, and he's had to, yeah. like, you know, call it out has, that this is the know. face he makes when he eats yummy food. And I'm like, oh, yeah. buddy. He has to do it on purpose. It is yeah. really, you know, it's, it is really sad. Um, this is my two, delicious face. Two more quick notes. There's a yeah. jump scare in this when the bird flies up at, at yeah. Grimmer, as and it's weird to have a jump scare in a comic. Um. Yeah, and it's, it's also <laughs> really it's fun. Just... I love Grimmer's reaction. He's like, "Don't scare me like that." 
which yeah. is, I think is great because that is exactly what I would say. I would also talk to the jump scare bird. <laughs> you know, it, it felt like a very human thing for, for Grimmer to do. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a good moment. Um, my last I love note... having my man back. I love it. Oh, I love having him back. My last note on this is Grimmer drops into like his blank face. The one that he did like with Tenma yeah. after he reveals, like when Lunga says, I know who you are, right? And like they mm-hmm. do the Spider-Man meme. That... So yeah. Grimmer drops back into his blank face. But then also, like, the panel where he has that face, Lunga has the same face. <laughs> so it's like, that's why <laughs> I said Arnyard and Kings. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's both of them. It's so um, funny. Yeah, it's good. I love them. Yeah, so that yeah. one, I guess, went pretty quick. Definitely. Cool. Okay, yeah, I mean, one 145 just is really just, like, setting stuff up. Like, that gunshot... That is one of the things it's I, a I mentioned. It's a good like, opener. That, yeah. that is, like, a roller coaster quick, right? That's, like... like Everyone's like, oh, it wasn't a gunshot. But everyone around town heard it. Everyone's like, was mm-hmm. that a gunshot? And it just makes everyone just a little, just a little uneasy. On edge. Yeah. You know, and then it just, and then it, oh, oh boy. Oh, 146. Let's do it. Here we go. 146 is the vampire's house. I think it's the name of this one. Let me, let me check. I, like I said, I should have written down titles. Yeah. Vampire's house. Okay. Yeah. We open on the fisherman and his wife arguing about her wasting his money playing the lotto with him saying she'll never win he gets ready to leave for work but she gasps because she's finally won the The bullies beat up whim again and tell him that they've thrown his bike into the vampire's house the fisherman races back into town narrowly missing whim in his truck Uh, he's gone into town to buy guns to protect their winnings 20 million marks he says they probably won't need them unless anyone knows that they've won. This begins a bunch of paranoid flashbacks. Uh, the fisherman's wife reveals that she bumped into Eric Conrad at the store, and he remarked that his birthday numbers were lucky, so she used them to play on the winning ticket. The fisherman then remembers the girl from the butcher shop looking at him funny, and then the wife panics remembering a look that the drunk in the alley gave her. They continue to panic and spiral and become convinced that they have to use their guns to protect their fortune. Wim goes to the vampire's house, terrified, to find his bike. He trips over a dead cat, screams, and then manages to compose himself. Inside the house, he finds an art studio and a bunch of paintings, and then hears a noise. It's Air Lunga and Air Grimmer. Grimmer comforts Wim, and Lunga remarks that the cat outside was killed by a machine gun, so it's already starting. <laughs> The two continue their investigation, remarking that the studio has been abandoned. They find dozens of drawings of the twins, all at about age 10, which Lunga remarks is when the investigation started. Outside, Eric Conrad is killed by a mysterious stranger. Yeah. Uh, Conrad, I have... of course, just being like a pleasant fellow. Right. Conrad was a nice man. He was he was picking yeah. Lincoln Berries. Um, yeah. I have bolded and underlined the phrase from Lunga. Anyway, that cat was blasted with a submachine gun. Yeah, like <laughs> hooting and hollering. Submachine like... <laughs> gun. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that cat was blasted with a submachine gun. <laughs> if if it wouldn't if it wouldn't upset Maya, I would make that my Discord status. Oh, it's so like, funny. It's, it's so really funny. funny. It really is. Um, there's some. This is another good chapter where stuff ramps up, and I love finding this little house with the art in it. Um, there's some paintings in there. There's one painting. It looks like it's a pair of headstones. 
Oh my god. Why? I think. Well, let me double check. Oh yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh man, I mean it could be. It could also just I don't be know like a, a botched attempt at the twins. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one one little thing that I love at the start of the chapter. Um, uh, the fisherman. The fisherman's like, "Where's my hat?" Um, and the hat's just on a lamp. It's just like a lamp with like this little baseball cap on it at a rackish tilt. Fuck, I love that lamp. I want to meme that lamp so bad. Fuck, I want to get a beer with this lamp with the baseball hat. You know, like, I like, I love this picture. There is, I really um, love this picture so much. Quinn, I have to imagine that you've never seen Veggie Tales because that's like a that's like a no, Christian yeah. children's thing. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a there's a two D flash animated Veggie Tales series about okay. one of the Veggie Tales characters, Larry Boy, who is the superhero okay. alter ego of Larry the Cucumber. Um, right, and right. in that Flash cartoon, one yeah. of the villains has a sidekick named Lampy. That's just a lamp that he's drawn a smiley face on. Let me wow, that's hang on good. one that second. Is pretty good. That's good content. Uh, and there's a scene where he goes, "Dance with me, Lampy." And, and then wow. <laughs> let me hang on. I'm gonna send the 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 uh, the image into Discord yeah, real please, quick. Yeah, please, please. Lampy does not. I think actually Lampy might wear a hat at some point. I don't remember. But um, there's. <laughs> wow, that is pretty good. I love that. Sure is Lampy. Yeah, I, I love, love lamp. I love I well the, I love I love hat lamp um I I want to get a tattoo of this hat lamp I honestly it's very like, good. I love this this guy is a whole character that panel by itself is so funny out of context oh it's yeah it's just a man looking at a lamp with a hat on it and you, the crazy thing is that that's so relatable I've I've lost or not lost but like I've spent like five ten ten minutes looking for hats so many times and then where is that fucking hat. It's it's on the lamp. Hats are easy to misplace, man. It's on the fucking. It's, it's very funny. And the and lamps are so appropriately shaped for hat storage. Oh yeah. You know. Um. So anyway, so I love the hat lamp. Um. One thing we we gotta we gotta point out we gotta point out Urasawa's bad habit here again. All these bully kits, they're kind of ugly. Yeah, there's the one with the buck The bully teeth. kids are kind of ugly, and you know, and you know what Vim is? Vim's a cute kid. He's got freckles. He's got a little bowl cut. Vim's a cute kid, uh, and and yeah. all of his all of his bullies are like ugly. One's got a hoodie. One's got like a little tracksuit. You know, well, like, a couple of them are wearing tracksuits, which feels era appropriate for Germany in the nineties, and I, I like that does. actually. You know, um, but it's just like, it's but just yeah, like, good come call. on, you know. Um, so there's that. Uh, I like that Conrad's birthday is two, three, four, five. Lucky. Like not, no, not the number, not that. Just, just that if they're provably lucky, he's won oh, a yeah, lot yeah, of stuff yeah. with it. It works. It's just a little, it's just a fun thing to throw in. Yeah. Um, I really feel like, like in a kingy town and kingy concept, the fisherman and his wife trying to win the lottery and then buying tickets when they do. This is the kingiest part of it all to me. Oh yeah. Like, and then there's sequence so... where they're remembering all of the like all of the, the the paranoia spiral is a chapter yeah. in a it's I mean it's very good. And the way that it's drawn where it's like they have the you know, we have the the shot of them on the side, right? Like whoever's remembering mm-hmm. what's happened, like fading into the memory of the event. Like Yeah, it's good. It's, that's, it's that's really a good well done. Out. Yeah. It's kind of a new it's kind of a new technique actually. Um we mm-hmm. haven't seen it used. Um and so this is this is fun. Yeah, just the way that like they think about everybody around them, you know, 
and they're like, fuck, they were all looking, they were looking at me, they were looking at me! Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. All of the shots of the cabin, both inside and outside, very, very well rendered. Um, this cabin looks like a vampire's house, unlike Dan. Oh, yeah. That is a cabin out there in the woods. Cat submachine gun. The cat blast with the submachine gun. Um, then the phrase about all of the paintings, because there's like dozens of paintings of yes. Johan and Nina. Yes. No matter how many times he drew this. them, he was never satisfied. And one thing that I notice about this, right, is, I mean, okay, so, um, so these paintings are done at 10, right? So this is past the Johan being cross-dressed face. Mm -hmm. it's just interesting that we've never seen any of these drawings with Johan, like with both of the twins dressed the same. I just want to know more about why, like ultimately, if you, if you actually put a gun to my head, it was a plot convenience, right? Because you couldn't yeah. have Nina welcoming herself home if Johan wasn't dressed like Nina. So I think Urasawa might have just done it. Because how much are you going to think about the gender politics, uh, like the implications of that in 1990-something? You know, like, it's, I, sure, fine, fine. Like, I wish I had a better answer for it. I wish I knew why. But I can live with the fact that it was plot critical, because it was. Um, it had unfortunate knock-on effects, though. Uh, but yeah, but these, yeah, drawing these pictures. And so what we can deduce from this all of these drawings, around 10 years old, right? The person that came to the Liebert's house the night Nina shot Johan was Franz Bonaparte. He must have been going to their house to draw them. Okay. Good call. I hadn't pulled that. Yeah. Because I was well, I was trying to figure out how does the timeline work. And and as you yeah. explained it, I was like, oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little unclear. That's, that's, that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that must have been it anyway. Um, it's a little, it's a little floaty, even if that is the case, it kind of, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll buy it for a dollar, but not much more. Um, yeah. Okay. And the last, the last shot of the chapter is really good too. Just like the trees in silhouette looking up at the sun, to the branches. It's great. Mm -hmm. All right. Shall we move on? Shall we move on? 147. 147. Paranoia Town. The old couple at the Hotel Versteck try some lingonberry jam, homemade by Conrad. And Franz Bonaparte shows them a picture of Conrad and tells them a little hometown story about how he makes the jam every year uh, from, from, local, from local berry patches, and that this is the last of last year's batch, but I'm sure he'll make more delicious jam this year. We then cut to Conrad dead in the woods. He will not be making any more jam. Do you feel sad yet? Um, because I do. I, do I definitely do. <laughs> it got me. Um, back to Lunga and Grimmer on the hill. And they talk about how a town can be destroyed with just one gun. And they talk about a fictional happening in the town of Zwiefelstadt. Um, Zwei? Zweifelstadt, I think. Um, in 1951, people began to suspect their neighbors of being serial killers, and in a state of group hysteria, 
one person shot one other person, and then it was a chain reaction. Everything became a weapon. All of the residents killed each other. Not a single person survived. Grimmer says, we can't let that happen here. And Lucas says, it may have already begun. The kids are bullying them again and take his money. Someone asks him if he hates them so much he could kill them. Out in the woods, the fisherman and his wife are looking for Conrad. And we, we you know, and we see how paranoid they're getting. And, and, you know, and they're like, we got to protect our money. You know, and what if, what if, what if he's greedy? And, and, you know, the fisherman is contemplating, contemplating murder. Because when you have a gun, you just naturally start thinking about killing people. Um, when you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yep, 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 yep. They find Conrad's body. And uh, they kind of freak out. <laughs> they freak out a bit. And they turn on each other a little bit. Yeah. The dog barks on, The dog barks at someone. Uh, back at the butcher shop, Matt's girlfriend is in a very good mood. Grimmer asks why, and she says, He showed up. The handsome stranger who's going to whisk me away from this town. And Grimmer is like, Oh, fuck. Oh, no. The drunk wobbles through town, complaining about how everybody laughs at him. The kindly old couple eating jam from the hotel. Well, the guy who was in a wheelchair, one of them's in a wheelchair, he stands up. And he gives the drunk a gun, saying, your son already took one. The dog is barking. Lunga hears a gunshot. The barking has stopped. Meanwhile, in Prague, <laughs> Herr Lipsky is performing his new puppet show. And everybody likes it! Fuck yes! Fuck yes! Ooh. Everybody fucking likes it! And Tenma shows up and asks him, Hey, you're Franz Bonaparte's kid. And if you don't tell me where to find your dad, hundreds of people are going to die. And that's chapter 147. Oof, a lot happens in 147. It's busy. Yeah. Um, it's busy. Starting thoughts. Starting thoughts from the top. Love the Lincolnberry Jam segment. It makes it's me so sad. So it's good. so good. It's so, it's, once again, Denny. This is a Denny. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Denny also what this thing. is. This is, the, 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 I mean, because, so they have the Lincolnberry Jam at the hotel. Yeah. And the and Bonaparte has specific instructions that anytime someone says they like the jam, he's supposed to pull out a picture of the man who made the jam and say, "This is Conrad. He made your jam. This jam is Conrad certified." <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, so it's like cute. it's a viral tweet of something cute that someone's dad has done. Like this is <laughs> a, this is a brand of thing that we love on the internet. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is um, that it is that down home success. You know, it's like, hey, this is a jam. Just some guy makes it. He just makes it just from some bushes he found. They make great jam, you know. And it's this really, it is that, that rural romance, you know. Yeah. That that the the little mountain town and the guy that just makes the jam. Um, and I think you can also see some overlap here because this is also a very Japanese thing, you know. Mm. I guess it's it's like this kind of everywhere. You have your local specialties. You have your local guy in a small town. Oh, he's our jam guy. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, it's 
it just is effective, especially to me, you know, as someone like who has spent time in small towns growing up and I just know the exact kind of thing in person they're talking about, you know, and it's, yeah. it's effective, you know, and, and he's dead. He's not going to make any more jam. Fuck. Oh, I hate that these mean, evil people got to eat the last bottle of jam. That, those fuckers. Oh, God. They're so. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Did you uh did you clock these guys as being evil? When did you clock them? Or did um, did you have to be told? I, I had to think be told. This I think it was here yeah. that I got it. I I actually don't remember if I realized it or not. Um because okay. on it was I, I should have made a note the first time that I read it. I don't I don't remember if I was able to get it right away or not. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it if I did, it was like seconds before it happened, I think was the was the thing. Totally. Um so I, uh, it's, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's a good moment when he stands up out of the wheelchair and then produces a gun for the, for the <laughs> drunk. Like, it's like, oh shoot. Okay. So I didn't clock it because yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. hang on. Wow. Yeah. It's always um, a classic, the, the wheelchair guy standing up. Oh yeah. Always, always a that's good one. A, uh, that's a classic, which ultimately kind of a harmful trope. Yeah. Many wheelchair users can and do stand and are ambulatory. Uh, and it kind of, it it's, you know, uh, reinforces the idea that disabled people could just be lying, you know, <laughs> oh, no. uh, they could just be tricking you, you know, so that's, it's just another one of those, just another one of those tropes that's like very effective, but also in the real world kind of causes a problem or two. Ultimately, yeah. if somebody, if somebody is disabled, it's none of your business. Yeah. yeah. Just good to keep in mind. Uh, but it works very well here. Oh, yeah. uh, seeing this guy stand up very very effective it's like oh fuck oh no you know handing him the gun that would be one thing but standing up oh fuck yeah like we doubled yeah. down on the, in intensity here um, um the fictional town that i was gonna itself. ask yeah because I, I wasn't sure if this was real or yep. not because i so was like well this is all no, pre-johan it's, it's so. not real it's not real um but there it has a couple fine connections to stuff so first off zweifelstadt not a real town the name means doubt town <laughs> or indeed paranoia town okay so there you go um it is fun it is fun that uh that Urasawa was like my readers aren't gonna know german i can just <laughs> i can just put it right on the notes you know and and so he did i wish i had realized this sooner uh so that i could have kept an eye on it throughout the throughout the podcast but all the different german oh, names well. or things yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um However, uh, fans of the series have noted that it bears some similarities to the events in a French town called Pont Saint-Esprit, um, and I'm better at German than I am French, so I'm sure I fucked that up. Uh, but uh, this might have also been 1950, I don't remember, I don't remember what it was. But basically, short version, a town got a batch of contaminated flour that got turned into contaminated bread, they all got ergot poisoning. And so there was a whole bunch of hallucinations um, and like the entire town had to be hospitalized. Uh, Only about five people died. It didn't turn into like a massacre or anything, but it was kind of a similar thing. However, I think probably this was mostly inspired by needful things. If I just had to fucking, if I had to put a guess to it, I would say that it's more likely it was inspired by needful things than the events of Pont Saint-Esprit in southern France. Than the town that ate bad bread. Yeah, you know. Um, um, it's interesting because doesn't he give two examples? Doesn't he say this happened in 51 and 58? 
Or am I? No, I think it. I think it was just uh, onset spring. Uh... Oh yeah, it was in the 1950s. Well, yeah, because Grimmer says that he heard one. Yes, I've heard of that. Oh, it's it was 1958. Sorry, so Pont Saint Esprit must have been 1951. Okay. Like the real one must have been 1951, and then this one is 1958. Well, because Grimmer says a town called Niedersachsen, and then uh, no, um, is that the region? Uh, yeah, Niedersachsen is a is a real region. It, uh, it okay, means okay. northern Saxony. Maybe? Gotcha. It's 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 a real place though. It's a it's a section. It's a. I wonder. Yeah. What is the what is the reason for? I mean, I guess it's to give them a way of knowing what's about to happen, right? Because I was like, well, why uh-huh. does this have to have happened before? Like, why do we have to have this note that this? Yes, is Yes, I to expect. Happen? Yeah, yeah. But Although, I guess it's just to make so, it plausible that they are. Uh, one you know, thing, one thing that I saw on the wiki, I think that the Zweifelstadt is expanded on in another monster. Okay, we're gonna have to talk about that because that, yeah. I, I'm. I don't. I've. I was on the learned page. about what that thing is, and it, I was like, "Well, do we need to cover this or not?" Because uh, may, my initial readings in, about I it, know. I was like, "This just seems like a novelization of the story." I don't think it. I maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's hard to say, but I do know that I was on the you know the monster wiki page for Zweifelstadt, and there was uh and there was a a section that said the real reason behind the killings and so i was like oh okay so oh boy so, all right well um, the other thing i noticed is then because i have the wikipedia uh i have bookmarked the chapter list right and i use uh, that like when i'm putting the notes together all of the the wikipedia list for the volumes, starting with volume 11 all of them include something called monster chronicle in the original Takabon printings which i i don't know if that's just like a hmm. Like I a don't know what that is. like a recap yeah, we'll, of what has we'll happened to up to this point. Out. I didn't want to look it up just that in case. That would make sense. I'll, you know. I'll, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, okay. In the meantime, though, that's what's up with that. There is. I do think that it's pretty. The line: a town can be destroyed with just one gun. That's good. It's a good line, and I think it also really reinforces how anti-gun monster is yeah. as a story. Like, I think that's a pretty important part of what the story is it's like guns are bad actually guns do bad stuff in the world yeah it's refreshing to just you know say that as i mean like i live in the american south everyone carries i'm not a gun person i don't like guns so it's like i think it is important to read media from other places and remember like yeah it's not normal and probably not good that we have so many guns here in the united states um and yeah. that they're, you know, they're weapons. You know, I got into an argument with someone in college once where I was like, well, why do you, yeah, about, like, because I called, I referred to a gun as a weapon. And he was like, uh, actually, it's a tool. I was like, okay. Oh, a tool fuck. for a what? Tool for, a tool for what, big guy? A tool yeah. for what? Jeez. Um. <laughs> I mean, of course, I was, you know, I was 18 then and wasn't, this was a guy who was bigger than me and more popular. And I wasn't yeah. quick enough to just say a tool for what? so <laughs> oh right no totally but it's, it's you that know. classic i love responding to stuff like that i love a tool for what yeah, i love seven states years rights afterwards. to what yeah um, exactly you know i love asking them to finish the sentence um uh-huh. obi katie okie doke chapter 148 oh well so, yeah well oh, uh, i guess one more, one more for 147 which is people like lipsky's show yay oh i love it it makes me so happy they love his show um okay yeah. 
chapter 148. Let me get the title on this one. Um, oh, you know, as I keep flipping back to the front of the volume to get the titles, the the end page in this volume is very good. And it's on the cover as well. It's a, it's a shot of uh, Tenma kind of crouched, gun pointed, teeth gritted. And then we've got mm-hmm. Johan's face behind him with like Tenma kind of covering up where Johan's mouth would be. So it's just like his, you know, his hair and his eyes and the outline of his face. It's good. It's a good yeah, image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. 148, Perfect Suicide. Tenma speaks with Lipsky, telling him that he found him via Nina. Lipsky asks if Nina is okay. We cut back to a flashback of her in the hospital bed, recovering from her crisis. Tenma shares the information he was able to get Wolf's guys to find on Bonaparte, which wasn't his real name. Tenma reveals that Bonaparte had a son, and his intel suggests the son is still alive in Prague. He shows Nina pictures of the reading group, and she guesses that Lipsky must have been that son and sends Tenma to Prague to find him. Dieter and Reichwein show up to aid Nina, and Dieter sadly realizes he just missed Tenma. In Prague, Tenma looks at Lipsky's collection of books and remarks that he's read most of them, all by Franz Bonaparte. He mentions that it's odd all the characters have German names and all the pen names are Czech, except for Klaus Papa, which he guesses must have been Bonaparte's real name. Lipsky says Lunga came to the same conclusion, and Tenma is shocked to learn that Lunga was here too. Lipsky tells Tenma about the postcard and mentions a story his father had told him about the town where he was originally from, in the mountains in South Germany. Tenma tells Lipsky that a catastrophe is coming and many people will die. Lipsky asks Tenma to keep Nina safe, so the story can have a happy ending. We get another flashback to Tenma's visit with Nina. She tells him another massacre is coming, and begs him to stay safe. Tenma walks the streets of Prague, and as the chapter ends, it starts to rain. Mostly a recap chapter. Yeah, I think the only thing that's new is something that I skipped in the summary, but it's the thing that Nina says about what Johan is doing. Um, do you want to get into that? Suicide. Yeah, yeah. Um, she says that she knows what Johan wants to do. The perfect suicide. True solitude. His only way of expressing love. Which I'm like, mm, that one, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Yeah, like, I think we, we gotta under, get to the we ending. We hear later what a perfect suicide is for Johan. And that's very interesting. Like, I like mm-hmm. that a lot. Um, the idea, basically, uh, listeners, basically the idea is that the perfect suicide is uh, killing everyone who ever knew about his existence. Just completely wiping himself from, from the face of, of the earth. Him and um, all memories of him. Yes, all memories of him. That's an important... That's that's the key there. Yes, all the memories of him. Um, I'm still grappling with his only way of expressing love. Still don't know what, uh, what is up with that. I don't know. I mean, we've talked a lot about, like, you know, the conception of hell as being separation from God and separation from, you know, everything, like uh-huh. all connections severed and how that's what Johan does. Um but it, I, it, his only way of expressing love, that's such a weird way to put it, because, like, it reframes really everything, weird. like, all of the horrible stuff that he's done to everyone that he targets, right? Like, I, making them live in solitude. I don't, I don't, no, I, I don't, I don't know. think that's right. I it's, don't know. It doesn't, it, it's a phrase that sounds cool, but the second you start to think about it, you're like, I don't know. I don't really know what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, the stuff with Dieter is really sad. 
Oh, poor Dieter. Like, he knows Tenma was here because he sees the chair and he's like, Tenma was here. Where's Tenma? And he runs out and he's looking for him. And this is another sad Hulk music moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, Poor Nina. In the hospital again. What a year of mental catastrophe for this girl. (laughs) God. The life. The life she's had. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the ending of this chapter. It's raining. <sighs> Tenma's got his coat on. He's walking out. He knows where he has to go. It's hard as hell. It's such a banger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I don't think I have anything else for 148, honestly. Yeah, me neither. That's it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, maybe maybe it's only going to be a four-star runtime. Maybe. Maybe. <sighs> All right. Come on, motorcycles. There's two two guys on motorcycles. Just ri- three. There's one that is very clearly losing that race. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chapter 149. A peaceful home. As it rains in Rugenheim, the town drunk thinks to himself how bad he needs a drink and remembers that he has a gun. The fisherman and his wife are just like, damn, I can't believe we hid Conrad's body in the forest. We didn't even do it. Why'd we do that? Yeah, why did you do that, actually? Inquiry minds want to know <laughs> what you were thinking. Um, Grimmer's at the train station. And the station guy says, there's no trains coming. It's fucking flooded. And Grimmer's like, this is the worst possible situation. <laughs> Tenma is in Cologne. And is at the German Association for Children's Literature. Uh, and the lady there says, we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any books by Klaus Papa. But I know a guy. A fanatic. And so Tenma goes to the house of this children's book fanatic. Uh, who uh, knows his children's books so well that he has uh, figured out that uh, Jakob Ferebeck, Franz Bonaparte, Klaus Papa, and Emil Scherb are all the same person. Uh, he says that there are a lot of dark children's stories, but these are different. They're full of malice. And there was a book by somebody named Helmut Voss, and it was published in 1989. And he is certain that this book is also by the same person. And he says that the evil intent in this book is completely gone, but the illustrations are no good at all as if he'd lost his purpose. The story of the book is about a thief that hides in a town in the mountains and plots to steal from the villagers, but forgets how to steal, and instead lives a peaceful life among them, helping them out. The name of the book is A Peaceful Home. In German, Das Ruhenheim. And Tenma finds it on the map, a mountain town in the south of Germany. Back in Ruchenheim proper, a policeman uh, policeman vents about how this incredibly peaceful town just, you know, all of a sudden things have started going weird. Apparently a couple days ago, a group of children were fighting with knives, which we didn't even see. Apparently they're just these kids having just knife fights out there. Um, and someone else was attacked, leaving a pub. Man. And the police says, policeman guy says, It must be an outsider. We've never had crime in this town before. Um, The 
friendly old couple. It's like, hey, we're not locals. The guy's like, oh, I, I didn't mean you. But he did, actually. He did, it turns out. Um, un unintentionally. And the guy, the, the old man says, it's impossible to go anywhere in a wheelchair and rain like this. And then Lunga hits him with the classic one more thing. Yep, I, I wrote Columbo too. <laughs> They're certainly quite muddy. Almost as if you've been out walking in the rain. Lunga goes to make a call. Line's dead. Uh, the drunk is out walking in the rain. The policeman passes him by. There's a guy on the side of the road. Apparently he, something, something's wrong with his car. The policeman gets out of his car, says, hey, I'll call a mechanic. Guy shoots him. Shoots him. Right dead. And I guess uh, I, well, this is when Luca, Luca reveals that the line is dead. And Grimmer says, perhaps it's already too late. Ooh. Banger. Good chapter. Absolute um, banger. I love that. I First of all, action scenes in the rain, always good. Love that we've got this big storm blowing in. This is good. Everything's that the raining. climax it's is going to happen in this yes. the storm of the century, you know? Um, yeah, you, I love I, it. Quick detour to tell a Matt story. Um, yeah. So this, uh, <laughs> the storm is coming. Um in i think it's what the third dark knight movie is it the dark knight rises i don't know the trailer for that movie catwoman at a party tells bruce wayne uh, or selena kyle i guess because she's not catwoman she says a storm is coming mr wayne and for some reason my friend group in college there was one like spring semester i think we like had just rewatched the movie or something and we just kept saying to each other, a storm is coming, Mr. Wayne. And then uh, one day, one day, there was this horrible storm that was blowing in. And a bunch of us were in um, one of our other buddies' rooms, like in the first floor of the dorm. And all of a sudden, there's a rapping at the window. And we look up, and another one of our friends is standing directly outside the dorm window. And he says, a storm is coming, Mr. Wayne. And we all just, we all just started laughing. Because it's like, you know, horror movie, spooky guy standing outside the window. And it was, so I just always think of that. That's uh, a great it always, bit. always makes me smile. It was, it was a fun, fun bit. But yeah, the storm is good. Um, I love, you know, normally I would be like, it's a little convenient that this is happening, you know, at the same time that Johan is doing his, his final move. But, but I don't care. So I love it. Like, it's good. Like, that's the fucking thing. It's all in the execution. If something is good, it doesn't matter if it's dumb or easy. But yep. it's got to be good. And it's man, a supernatural it's... level disaster mm. trapping people in this town. Yes. It's great. Um, so let's talk about Ruhenheim okay. uh, as a town. Uh, people have done some work on Ruhenheim as a real place. So it is based on a real German town. And in terms of its location, we see a map. Uh, we see one map in the manga and actually a different map in the anime, it turns out. Um, Ooh. Uh, in the manga, it is uh, it appears to have taken the site of a mountain called Steppergalm. Uh, and then in real life, it has taken the place of a real life uh, town called Oberstdorf. So there you go. Okay. However, there is uh, the town that was like the location scouting place for Ruhenheim is a town in Bavaria called Kaufbjörn. So, there you go. 
Um, if you guys if you guys look look up Ruhenheim on uh, on the Monster Wiki, uh, there's actually somebody took a whole bunch of like comparative shots. Oh, that's cool of Kalfurin, so you can actually see like how like I'm looking at I'm looking at one right now, and there's like the Hotel Versteck. You know, like it's really very much from the from the location scouting. So cool stuff. Thank you. Uh, to so that that's user. up with Ruhenheim. Yep, and Ruhenheim. Yep, peaceful home. Um. I like the where yeah. when Tenma finds it, like that page of you know we get him like pointing to it on the map and then zooming in on the text and then like then we get the location tag as we cut back to town. Like it's a, it's a yeah. it's a fun page. It's good. Yeah, it's great because it's definitely. I think you could. I think you could argue that it doesn't make a lot of sense to send Tenma on even more of a like a chase. Like what? Why does he? We just got to get him there now. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, but but I think like this little reveal of him like. Find, this is how he finds out where to go. I think it's I think it's cool. I think this reveal moment is is cool enough. You're like, oh shit, Tenma's got it now. You know, yeah. like I, I also really cool. like this character of the children's picture book collector. Like, uh, and I I love the idea that he's just like, well, yeah, you know, like I he has he's also has the theory that these are all pen names. But I love the idea that like he has more books than the ones that we've seen that are like, yeah, these ones are also um you know uh, from the klaus papa books and yeah. then the it's it's like oh yeah there's more of them there's something i like not spooky but like i like the idea that it's like there's this guy who's just completely unconnected from the story who's also been doing this work and has like figured out all this stuff and has yeah like, theories he just and, happens and to know like this this bit of it even though he's not connected to anything else yeah uh, and i like that he you know he says it's malice Right. Um, I like the discussion of what yeah. makes this different from just spooky children's picture books. Because we have talked a lot about like the trope of yeah. scary picture books, sinister children's media. And that's like a very popular millennial thing to talk about, too. I think like when we were kids, children's entertainment was terrifying. Um, totally. But and I, I like that this guy is like, yeah, it, the scary kids books, dime a dozen. There's something like different and malicious about these ones. Right. Definitely. Yeah, which is which is an accurate assessment. You know, these books are intended to mm-hmm. to hurt, to harm, um, in a very in a very concrete way. It's a uh, so it's it's cool to see it him put it in his words and just a fun side character to get for you know a few pages. Which and just have him be like largely a normal guy, right? It's not like yeah. he's someone who's like you know fanatically obsessed with Klaus Papa in a way that makes him like sinister and scary. It's just like no, he just loves children's books. He's like the guy that kept all the newspaper articles yes you know yeah um, he's very much like kind of a guy Mm -hmm. boy sure it's a good thing that we have all these guys that just uh, keep stuff around yeah a lot of collectors it would sure be a shame if you know if all of those guys moved to just putting stuff on the internet and then companies bought those sites where we were putting stuff and made them worse and hard to use yeah that would that would actually be like that would kind of be maybe an arguably worse world to live in it would be Um, a hell world maybe yeah (laughs) Yeah, uh, maybe. Um, they hit the body, bro. Yeah, I didn't think about it until you called it out, but I was like, what was the point of doing that? I think they were afraid that they would be blamed for it, but they would obviously, they hadn't fired the gun. The cops would be able to figure out they hadn't fired the gun, but I guess, I mean, I guess the point is that they're not thinking straight. Yeah. You know, they find their friend dead and they've got a gun, you know, like you're not. I guess they assume that it's connected to them. for these two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, so that I guess that's it. But yeah, that is pretty stupid. Moving the body, man, man, yeah. 
And then, of course, Lunga's Columbo moment. Oh, it's good. It's solid when he just, you know, he, he solves it. Um, yeah, he gets it. You know, I do think it's interesting that he doesn't, like, say, he doesn't move to, like, you're under arrest. I mean, like, I guess he's on vacation, and, like, also, there's no reason to arrest them, right? But, like, like calling Like, the massacre's coming, you know? Yeah. Like, I And I like, because as Grimmer said before, it's already started, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Or is this the first time when he says? This is the first time. Grimmer, Grimmer was holding out a bit of hope. Okay, uh, and now he's giving it like, no, it is Grimm going. Is like, oh, Here fuck. we go. Yeah. Um, yep. I think it's funny. Uh, you mentioned it. Like, you know, we don't, we get the information we, that we've never seen that kids, someone gave the kids in town a bunch of knives and the kids are just getting into knife fights now. Just knife fights. Yeah, you know, the kids are getting <laughs> knife fights. Some other guy got, got attacked. Like, like, we find out that all of this bad stuff has been happening from this cop. It's like, oh man. Yeah. Um, the shot of the cop getting blown away is, is, pretty cool it's a good one that's like a yeah. that's a that's a movie shot you know the wide oh totally you know, i really love the, the shot of um of the guy like in the rain by the car just like waving his hands just like Put shrugging up. like yeah. i don't know what's going on and mm-hmm. then bam yeah oh yeah okay anything else um oh i did have i thought of this when we were going back through this was something that i meant to mention during the uh the very first chapter of this uh Ruinheim section the the newspaper story about um the murderers being murdered i oh i right. didn't call it out in the in i like i mentioned it in the summary i didn't call it out when we were going through our notes johan is collapsing his web he's this is in yes. we said it in the last chapter is he's getting rid of everyone his memory of him he's 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 moving all his pawns off the board, yeah. Um, so it's yeah. It's, it's also it's also just like oh fuck, there's more. There's this uh-huh. many more, you know. Like Jesus, it is a little unrealistic how many serial killers there are in this in this story in Germany. <laughs> yeah. In Germany, like Germany, check like around like this part of Europe, like that's a lot of serial killers. And it's a lot for people to just like know about. Like, yeah, no, we just oh, have all these killers. different serial killers. Yeah, Monster is a slight alt history in that there's way more serial killers. <laughs> the age of serial killers. <laughs> like for real though, jeez. Um, it's like there's. It's another meme about like you know. I really thought quicksand was going to be more of a problem. It's like Monster leads you to believe that serial killers yeah. are just running around right outside your window. Just all around. What is it? It's like something like. What is it like something like seventy something are active at any one time? I think that's the estimate. Is that the number? And the United States, I think. Huh. I mean, you know, the United so, States is a lot bigger than Germany too. But exactly. Like, so yeah. like this, this would be like this would be like if there were twenty something operating in the state of fucking like California yeah. or like Georgia. Like, and if we knew about all of them all the time, I think it's yeah, yeah. Thing. You know, it's really it's fine. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. One fifty. 150 um okay so i didn't i was sprinting to get my notes done so we could record this one before i got too late so i didn't write a summary of 150 i'm gonna i'm gonna do this one live um, i believe in you which could get a little look i haven't done this in a while because i was (laughs) i realized early on in this podcast that it was going to be easier for me to um type them up beforehand but okay let me let's do it live 150 massacre town we open on the bullies speeding up whim again calling him trash boy saying the trash gets stinky in the rain they leave and whim takes the gun that he got from the old couple from his pocket we cut to whim's father the drunk stumbling into the bar where everyone turns and regards him with uh resentment 
The drunk holds up the money that he's got from Wim and asks to buy a drink, but the man says he'll have to pay off his tab first, and also that he's got nothing to serve for people who drink away their kids' wages. He's then thrown out of the bar. He sits outside and remembers the gun that he has in his pocket. We cut to police officers in the woods um, looking for Conrad, who's gone missing. Uh, the officer stumbles upon Conrad's body and calls out for his partner, Merkel, who he finds is also dead uh, nearby. He runs to his police car to call it in uh, and is shot and falls to the ground. Someone comes up from behind him and takes his gun, saying, I'll need your gun too, and walks away. We cut back to the drunk, who's pulled out his gun and decided that he's going to go into the bar and teach these people a lesson. But when he kicks the door open, everyone inside's already dead. Everyone's already been shot. On the street, Grimmer walks back towards the hotel, saying that the streets are littered with corpses and the town is like a war zone. He finds Wim holding a gun, standing with all the bullies dead in the alley nearby. Wim is in shock. Grimmer asks him what happened, and Wim says he doesn't exactly remember, and he thinks that he shot them. They were picking on him, and he, he just can't remember. Grimmer takes the gun and looks at the clip, and holds Wim as he screams, and tells him that it's alright and he should calm down, he doesn't need to be scared, and asks who gave him the gun. Back at the hotel, the cop who was shot in the woods is bleeding out on the floor. He's managed to crawl back into town. Lunga informs everyone that the phones are down. The cop tells Lunga and Bonaparte that someone took his gun. It was someone he'd never seen before, an outsider. Lunga looks towards the elderly couple, uh, just as Grimmer gets back with Wim. Uh, the old man, Bonaparte, is shocked that Wim had a gun and dismayed. Uh, but Grimmer reveals that Wim didn't actually kill those boys. The clip is still fully loaded. He didn't use the gun. He listened to the things that Bonaparte had told him. You're not trash. Never mind them. You were born for a reason. And he took those things that Bonaparte had told him to heart and listened to him. Bonaparte tells Wim he's a good boy and hugs him as he cries. Grimmer turns turns towards the Grimmer tor- <laughs> turns towards there Grimmer turns towards the elderly couple uh, as the man rises from his wheelchair and advances towards them angrily. He says that there are guns everywhere in the town. How many guns did they give to the people in the town? Uh, he then goes full Hulk mode and says, "Don't piss me off any more than I already am. You don't want to see what happens when I'm angry." Um. The elderly couple reveals that they have been in contact with someone who was just like their grandson, uh, and they've been writing him letters. Lunga deduces that this is Johan, that this couple has been working for Johan, that they've been communicating him uh, through these letters, and that Johan is looking for someone. Uh, and then this is where we get the reveal that the old man is Bonaparte. Uh, yep. He says that he is the one that Johan is looking for. Uh, and Lunga and Grimmer both realize that this is the man that they are looking for. Uh, Grimmer says Air Papa, and Lunga says Bonaparte. Yup. End of the chapter. End of the chapter. Whoo! Trash boy! Trash boy. Trash boy. It is me. 
It's scary seeing him holding that gun. I don't like it. I don't like seeing that yeah. little boy with a gun. Yep. Those, those uh, kids are just fucking dead later. Those are some dead kids yeah, on the I, ground. I, they got the shot thing. with a gun. Okay. So yeah. many people have gotten killed. Yeah, and the implication that we get is that it's... I mean, I don't think the town has turned on itself yet. I think it's just this mysterious man, our, our, our trust friend, uh, oh. running around doing all of this single-handedly. He is a I don't know. I he mean, he gave everyone guns. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that I presume that there's just a bunch of other people that have been given guns. Yeah. And so, it's it's like, it's needful things, but we're only seeing a little bit of it. Because obviously, we don't have an entire book to spend, you know, going around to everybody in town and all of their soap opera stuff. So, we kind of only get, like, a little window into it. Right. And it is, it's shocking when the drunk goes back into the into the bar oh, and everyone man. has already been killed. Like, oh, man. It's the so The turnaround good. on that, that was fast. Yeah, it's a good Yeah, moment. we're like, you, you think, it's just a great example of you think you know what's about to happen. And then mm-hmm. the literal last thing you expect is what you get. Yeah, you're like, like oh, hang on. <laughs> like, fuck, they beat him to it. I mean, because, yeah. like, reading this section in the context of, you know, we already talked about living in the States, gun culture here is different. Yeah. It is, I mean, this play is very different when we live in an age of mass shootings, right? And this is, like, you know, when to kick open the door and shoot all these people who were mean this to me. This was the 90s, like, right? Like, school the, shooters. Like, I guess Columbine has happened at this point, sorta, but... Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I think that at that point it had started to really pop up in the, in the mass imagination. Right. That's that's what I'm yeah saying. I think you're right yeah and, um, and I I wouldn't be surprised if that news stuff inspired also in part uh, this this whole plot line yeah um, where did you come down on did you think that women killed those boys I did I wasn't like oh, I he didn't do it I did for maybe I did for a second. And like okay. rereading it, I couldn't remember. I, like when I got to yeah. it, I was like, "Well, maybe he did kill him." Um, <laughs> good, b- yeah. Because so because you know, Grimmer checks the clip, and right? people we don't know. We like, don't get the says, answer. Vim, you like he just says you, and boy, that could mean anything. And that's really, I mean, that's also I do like it when Urosawa does that. He does this move a decent bit where he like leaves things kind of open until a little bit later. until the end of the chapter. We end on the yeah. on the punch, right? Yeah, totally. But I and yeah, like I in that uncertainty, I totally bought like yeah. Grimmer is a character who, even if this boy has murdered these other children, right? Yes. He knows that it's it's the same as like when we got to oh, who was the boy who Johan walked through the red light district. I don't remember his name. Oh um, fuck me! I can't. No, remember. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but the way that Grimmer handles these children who have been, you know. Uh, uh, destroyed by Johan and the and the evil that swirls around him, I think is like such a strong character note, right? Like the compassion and care that he has for these children who have been chewed up. Um, and it's like yeah. the thing that I thought of, and it's probably just because I I just listened to yesterday the new episode of Game Study Study Buddies, um, which deals with some. It's it's a book called. Uh, it's it's about. Uh, uh gamif- gamification and it's like a mm-hmm. it's a haters book on gamification where's okay. this guy who's like this is a horrible thing and he talks about all the ways that right, it's horrible. right right 
apparently draws on like a lot of Foucault. Um, sure. And the thing that Kanzelman says about Foucault, right, in this position of anti-humanism, I'm probably just going to have to read some Foucault is what's going to happen. But sure. um, this idea that like we have all of these systems and like in the way that like people are radicalized by things like QAnon and things like that. And it's like there's uh-huh. all these systems that it's like what are you, one person, supposed to do in the face of this totalizing influence, this horrible evil that is just, you know, how 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 could you possibly respond? It's like that is not to say, that is not to take away agency and say that, like, you know, the people who are doing these things mm-hmm. didn't make a decision and didn't act. But it's like there is so much that is working against you that y- you you can't – it's – so much of your agency has already been removed by the the systems that are acting on you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. I see. And so like I, when I read this section of like, of Grimmer comforting this boy, like, I guess when we learn that Grimmer knows he didn't kill him, it loses a little bit of the pop. But the idea Mm -hmm. that like Grimmer can have compassion for this boy who has potentially done this horrible thing. Right. And not just be like, you're a monster. You've turned evil, you know? Yeah. It's Um, more complicated. Yeah. It's more complicated. There were forces going on that the kid can't understand and, and can't control. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is it is nice. I have to think that. So um, I like what that. do you yeah, what do you think about the fact that that our man uh, Klaus Papa is now a is is now apparently full face turn, he's a good guy now. Yeah, supportive grandfatherly type that, that helped that helped Vim have the strength of character to not do some murders. In some ways, I like it because mm-hmm. I like that, you know, that he loves this boy. I like the scene that he has, you know, and where Grimmer says he listened to the things that you told him and lists off all of the, you know, the nice yeah. things. that. But at the same time, like I said, you know, in real life, of course, everyone deserves a shot at, you know, and this is, you know, partially from my religious beliefs, right? Like, sure. I think, yeah, everyone should have a shot at redemption. Right and like you know repentance and things like that. Yeah, but I also, also think like there should be consequences. Guy? I yeah, think there should yeah. be consequences. And in fiction, especially, I think you can just be like, nope, you don't get a shot. Kaboom. Yeah. Blamo. Peter Chapek. That, that this you know? guy. Why is this guy yeah. getting a shot? Apparently, he's been like the architect of this whole deal. How come he is getting this? this Why are we chance? doing this full character rehabilitation yeah. on him at the literally the last minute? I don't know. Maybe don't because know. it's interesting. It is interesting. Like, it's, it's unexpected, I guess. guess. Yeah. Like, it, it could just be, like, Urasawa going, okay, what's an interesting thing to do with this character? And maybe the interesting thing for Urasawa was, well, let's take the character that's maybe the most reprehensible person in this whole deal, and and let's say that he's repented. You know, like, what happens then? Yeah. I don't know. Um, hmm. Yeah. The reveal is so good, though. It's good. It's good. You didn't see it coming, did you? No, I didn't. I because I when I, yeah. I read the clip, I was like, oh, he probably did it. Like he's checked the clip, and there he has fired mm-hmm. those shots. And I was like, oh, and like it's a smart way to do it, man. Like you can yeah. just be like, yeah, the clip's still full. Like, no, it's, no, I it's mean a the, good... the Klaus Popper. Oh, the Klaus Popper one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, that's a good reveal too. I I like, and yeah. I like that they both refer to him as that Grimmer calls him Klaus Papa and. Lunga says Franz Bonaparte. I don't know yeah. if that's just to remind us, like, okay, yep, you know, these are the same guy. Like, yeah, we, yeah, probably. You know? probably. Um, yeah, but it's, it's interesting. Really cool just because, like, you look at him and you're like, oh, my God, it is him. Like, yeah. he has the same face. He just has a beard. And you're like, I can't believe, I can't believe it got me. But, it, yeah. you know, 
Like Beard really hides him. It really does. It really does. Um, just super. I think that's a super clever move on on Arasawa's part to like give us a good amount of time with him as just a regular guy, and then we find out. Oh fuck. You know, like yeah. I feel like series try to do that pretty often, um, and rarely does it work as well as it does here. Like this is a particularly good example. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's 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 good. Um, uh, the Hulk reference just being made loud and clear is just yep. fun. Uh, yeah, you, know, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't me, like when me when I'm angry. Yeah, <laughs> that is really fun. See, he doesn't say that in the Marvel. Well, I guess maybe in the Edward Norton movie he says that, but that's from the TV show. That's the um, mm. that's the is it. Lou yeah i mean it's in the it's in the theme sequence of the of the show which the scene oh, really? the theme sequence by the way is like a sped up version of the sad piano music it's like uh and there's like dramatic sounds going on in the back because it's like like it's going a little bit faster and there's yeah, like a yeah. drum like a driving drum behind yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's good the incredible hulk tv show you know i'm sure it's probably not very fun to watch in 2023 because it's from the like 60s and 70s so it's probably very mm-hmm. slow and yeah. tri- the same way that reading comics from that era can be tricky sometimes but might be fun <laughs> i don't might know might be all right okay well chapter 151 a memory to keep in munich at dr reichwein's place Dieter is drawing a sketch of Tenma, and Ava's smoking. Uh, Dieter's like, "Hey, you think this looks like Tenma?" And Ava's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna give it to the cops next time I, next time I uh, tell them about Tenma." <laughs> um, uh, Reichwein and Gillen uh, have received an email, and they have agreed to show it to Nina, and it's very simple. Johan has emailed her, I'll be waiting for you in Ruhenheim. Nina says, I have to go. Please let me go. In in Ruhenheim, people are just dead. They're dead all over the place. At the hotel, Lunka talks about how Franz Bonaparte was at first a figment of another man's imagination, like a character from a picture book. And he says that normally I've tracked down facts, gathered objective data, but this time I completely ignored the data and followed the narrative of an imagination. After all, I'm on vacation. And so he followed the thread that Tedma had laid, and that led him to Ruhenheim. And meeting Papa in person feels surreal, as if someone from a picture book had come to life. Grimmer asks Klaus what he was running from. Was he running from people like Grimmer? And Grimmer understands all of a sudden what it is that Johan is trying to do. At the Hotel Bergbach, the butcher shop girl asks her asks her handsome man what is going on out there, and why he keeps leaving and coming back and showering every time he comes back. He tells her to relax, and he ordered some hot tea from downstairs. We see the proprietor of the Hotel Bergbach, dead. 
And as they as they go to bed, our trusted friend, Roberto, tells her that when the rain stops, all of the memories will be gone. Rudy and Gillen tell Nina that she can go, but she can't carry a gun, and that everybody who knows about Johan has to go into hiding, because Johan wants to extinguish any memory of his existence. As they leave, Reichwein and Nina talk about her memories, and how she has memories she doesn't want to forget, and how she must not forget memories of Johan. At the Hotel Versteck, all they have to defend themselves with is one gun. Something about all we've got is one gun kind of makes me laugh a little bit. That, like, that's how we're going into the finale is like, I mean, because this feels like, like, if we were reading a Batman comic, right? Like, obviously not Batman because, you know, he doesn't use guns. Sure, but this sure. is like the kickoff to like a much lower stakes, like kind of fun, like how are we going to get through this fight sequence? All we've got is one gun. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, this is the big dramatic moment at the end of this story is <laughs> we've just got yeah. the one gun. I don't know. It definitely, I didn't even think about that. To me, it landed full force and I was like, one gun. You know, they're standing around mm-hmm. the table and it's just this little gun just sitting in the middle of it. It does look very small. Yeah. Yeah. Really great uh, framing on that last panel. Really good. Yeah. Really good framing. Good chapter. Good chapter. I like the beginning. I like uh, Dieter's drawings. Did you catch the drawing that he'd made of Ava? That we, yeah, he made we a drawing of Ava. As, as Nina's leaving, she's <laughs> yeah. it's really It's really good. Yeah. I didn't read the, you know, Ava saying, oh, I guess I'll just show this to the cops next time as... I, like the clearly sarcastic joke that it is, but when you explained it, I was like, "Damn, that's yeah. funny. That's so good." <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, "Oh, great. I'll, yeah, I'll show it to the cops." It's so funny. She's um, chain smoking inside, and Dieter's like, "You, sh- you shouldn't be smoking." And she's like, yeah, "I stopped drinking." Lay smoke, off. Ava. Come on, he's a kid. Uh, I love the little drawing he does of Tenma. I love that it's, it's a scruffy Tenma. <laughs> he's got like six individual scruffs on him. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, there was also some. There was also some news talking about how bad the storm is. It's pretty bad. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, dude. He's gone out alone to defeat a monster. I like that we've got our three kind of parallel. Because I guess at this point, Lunga is also a parallel protagonist, right? We've got these oh, yeah. three dudes that yeah. are have all shown up to yeah. to fight Johan in this village. Yeah. The three Tremor, the three Lunga, loneliest men in all of Germany. Tenma. And then, and then Nina, man, it's really, you know, it's ended and it's just great. Like I said before, of all of these characters just descending upon this town, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's one of my favorite things in, in big cast ensemble, ensemble cast shows. things. Yeah. When, is everyone, when everyone everybody, is here. Yeah, dude. Oh, it's the best. Um, what do we, the, I, I like that we have the return of Johan who writes creepy emails. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking that too. I do think it's a little irresponsible that they held on to this for three days before they told Nina, like considering how things are going in Ruinheim. Like they say, well, we got well, this email a couple days ago. they don't know what's happening in Ruinheim. They don't You're know right. people are about to, This is a know. real cinema sins thing of me to call out. But like to me, email comes in. I'm immediately telling people, hey, we got this email from Johan. We got to be ready. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there is that. But that's know, like, that's not what this story is. About, yeah, yeah. It's, you know. You know. And Nina, you know, you can tell how gentle they're being with Nina. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And with good reason. She has been hospitalized yep. by just thinking about how horrible her brother is several times. Yeah. Man. Oof. Yeah. Um, uh, I love, I love Lunga being like, yeah, this, like, it really was a vacation. It was literally a vacation because he was like, fuck, fuck the facts. Let me just do this, like, fun little thing. For a while, and then it turned out that they were actually facts, and now he's kind of like, "Well, huh? How about that?" I love what he says about like how it feels, you know, where he says you were a figment of another man's imagination, and it's like how yeah. he says a couple times, "It feels like one of your stories is coming to life," right? And it's, I think mm. that's an important thing to probably think about, you know, yeah. as this guy is yeah. a, you know, because that's kind of what has happened with everything. That's kind I of mean, what this, this guy is. has existed to us in memories and in storybooks. Yeah. You know, this is a man of stories. And here he is in real life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um not very much like his stories at all. No. Extremely different. Um which that's a, that's always a good trope when you meet the author of the story and they're not what you expected. I like that. Yeah. Actually. So I think there's probably some precedent for what we're doing here with this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's cool though. Do you have Roberto thoughts? Fuck, I just, I, our trusted friend returns. He's back. I was, he's, I think I mentioned back. last time, I was like, I wonder, he's going to come for the finale. I wonder how he shows up. And I'm glad and that this is how he's, he's doing. A, he's doing a lot of murders and having sex with the, with with the butcher the, girl. With the butcher shop girl. God, uh, I don't, how, how does this man have so much game? Like, look, he's, he's, his fucking hairline is not good enough for, for all we the are sex a, We are a sex-positive podcast, but every panel of Roberto having sex is revolting. It's so <laughs> disgusting. It's so disgusting. Every time um, it happens in this book, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. He's got a little scar on his shoulder. Yeah. You know, man, but it is... It's, I'm, I love that he's here. Friend. I love that he's back. Me um, too. Me too. That just wouldn't be right to have. Wouldn't it be monster without Roberto. Without Roberto, our our mascot, our trusted friend, our trusted friend. Um, uh. I like that. Uh, I like that. Grimmer confronts Bonaparte about you know yeah. he says who are you running from people like me and he says I came from Kinderheim five one one. It's like your ideology is what created me, like. The way and I am, it's Papa your fault. Looks haunted. He does look haunted. Yeah. And defeated. Um, you know, which good. Good, I should say. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other important thing is the stuff with Nina and her memories. Yes. Extremely. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? Uh yeah, she it's so she says Johan wants to extinguish any memory of his of existence. And as she's walking out, she says my memories of Dieter, my memories of you, Dr. Reichwein, my memories of Lada and Carl, my memories of Frau and Erfurtner, my memories of Tenma. I have memories I don't want to forget, no matter how much I want to forget certain things. And Reichwein asks her, and Johan, your memories of Johan? And she says, they mustn't be forgotten. Which, damn, hard, good. Yeah, right. totally. You know, it's okay. So it's about, this is what Dieter kept saying, right? It's like, you know, Dieter always kept, he was, Dieter was hesitant to, he didn't like that Nina was trying to remember these bad memories and just kept saying, let's just, let's just make new ones instead. Let's just make new ones yeah. instead. Let's make new happy ones. And here it's, 
it seems like, you know, the key to her healing and overcoming this trauma is not just making these new memories, but coming to terms with these bad ones. It's like, no, I'm not going to forget these because maybe like in some ways, whatever she did to forget those memories are what she feels, you know, created Johan. Yeah. So, you know, she's not going to forget them. Yeah. Um, And, And I think the important thing about this is that this really sets up what this final conflict is over. It is over memory. Mm -hmm. Johan wants to erase it. He wants to forget. He wants the past to go away. And everyone else is on the side of remembrance and history and self. Yeah. I mean, it's like he's cutting connections in both directions, right? Yes, exactly. Future and past. Yeah, so he's creating a a void, a wasteland for him. No walls on either end. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and it's like the, it's echoes of the you know what Grimmer told us about being a ch- child at Kinderheim right the promise that they made to each other was you know we, I won't forget you right like even mm-hmm. as your memories go away and that was like on the tape the thing that we heard Johan say was like he his greatest fear was he was afraid he would forget Nina right yeah yeah uh, and yeah and now he's just doesn't doesn't want anyone to remember, doesn't want to remember himself. Uh, just, you know, a, a perfect suicide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, complete self-erasure. Uh, um, through erasing everybody else. Uh, yeah. Which, oofa-doofa. Um, you know, and, but yeah, this idea of you have to remember things. And the fact that Nina has things that she doesn't want to forget. You know, and this idea, because way back when, right... Otto and Tenma found the murderer, and the murderer said that Johan told him that he could change the past. That you could rewrite history. And then he says, he says, that's stupid, why would I believe? Or someone pushes back and says, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. And the spell yeah. is broken, and he, he shoots himself. I yes. forgot about that. That's a very good thing to pull back here. That it's, this is Johan's yes. ideology. is you can, exactly. you can change the history by destroying it. Yeah, right. If you destroy history, then history is whatever you say it is. Yeah. You can control oh, damn. history Oh, That's by what he's done. It. Yeah, he's just yes. said that his history is this other thing, and it's not. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, whether it's because of regret or for whatever reason, because we still don't really know what his motivations are for this suicide, but we know his goal. His goal mm. is to erase uh, and everyone else's goal is to remember and to carry that memory forward because even because no matter how hard life is and no matter how much trauma we carry and how much it affects us, the good memories are just as real and just as powerful and we can always make more of them. And life is worth living no matter what you carry. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's just the fundamental disagreement is that Johan doesn't believe that life is worth living no matter what you carry there is a limit and according to him you know he's reached his yeah it's um hmm what a what a way to this is a good chapter to end on before we move into the finale um man i can't believe we're at the end we're here i know um you know i'll just I'll, i'll get you know sappy and emotional a little bit 
um, listeners, Quinn and I were DMing uh, uh, during this week as we prepped, and I, I mentioned uh, that, you know, I was going through a journal, and uh, we recorded the first episode of the show uh, about a year ago on uh, yeah. August, August 31st. 31st, yep, yep. So, and we, I mean, we sat on that first episode for a long time. The show didn't start coming out until January, but um, it's, it in some ways, it doesn't feel like it possibly could have been that long. But hmm. I think about, you know, it seems like we recorded that episode forever ago, but we've been doing this for a year now. And that's, uh, that's exciting because, you know, it it's, uh, and, and we're coming to the end of this project. It's, it's, yeah. um, or at, at the end of this, this first season of this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been, I'm, I'm so glad we've been able to do this. I'm so glad we've had people listening. Uh, yeah. And, wow. And so good to joining. have people listening to it. That's, that's great, man. Crazy that people would actually do that. Yeah. Um, so like, thank you for downloading these episodes and listening to us talk about this. You know, I always, I always am worried like, well, am I going to really have anything interesting to say beyond just recapping this plot? But I always feel Me like, too. you know, yeah, I'm, but then I'm we always get glad yeah. that we have these discussions. You know, I, it's been so much fun. I'm so excited. Here's the refrain as always. So excited to see where this goes next. Oh um, yeah. See, one, see more how volume, this one more reading. Woo, woo, woo. One more reading. OBKB. Um, real quick, segments. Segments. Tenma moment. Uh, Tenma saying Nina, add a girl to Nina. And that whole, just the oh, whole mm, him God, saving I, her. Yeah. I think probably, for me, it's the it's the panel with them in the wasteland. Good. Fantastic panel. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Great panel. Okay. Side character, which is most of the moments here. Yeah. Ooh, boy, what are we doing? Oh, man. Uh, There's Conrad fucking... certified Lincolnberry jelly. <laughs> <laughs> Conrad certified. I think for me, it's uh, it's the reveal that Vim didn't kill them, and you that's know, the, good. That the kindness worked. You know, like you can create someone strong. Yes. You know, love an entirely new discovery. <laughs> oh man, I forgot about that guy. That yeah. was very funny too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, unnamed. Oof. Well, you said lamp was your favorite. Fuck uh, it, yeah, Mr. Lamp. Got it. yeah, the hat lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Lamp is very funny. Um, lamp, lamp coon. <laughs> I'm gonna go with um, I. Okay, I like that the bartender pushes back against the drunk. Yes, and says that's a good scene. I'm not gonna serve someone who's just drinking their son's money, their child's money away. I, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, is it a bit like moral grandstandy? For sure, but also it's good. I like it. Uh, <laughs> I I think it's a. I think if I don't know if I'd call it a grandstand. It seems like a pretty regular stand to be yeah, like I your think kid you're right. made That's that a, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm putting that incredibly neutral. It's just stand. decent person thing to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Uh. Okay. Now, do you have a proposal for who's rocking this week? Because I have one. Oh, I, 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 I don't think we rocking. have. The, we probably don't have the same who's rocking this week. Who's rocking? Okay, give me a second. I think. I think. Well, isn't it? Isn't it? Um. Uh. Retired professional brainwashers in hiding. Surely. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Paranoid Lottery winners, but I think you're probably right. I also considered the lottery winners. I mean, I because there I like that. how much time we spend with them spinning out. 
there and then you said <laughs> the, the absurdity of them moving the body it's just <laughs> <laughs> okay okay actually you know what i think you're i think you okay are right. sweet paranoid because because winners. yeah because the thing about papa is that he did actually kind of end up with a slightly better life and that's not that's not the rock and that's way. not rock and that's not the rock and way yeah <laughs> the rock <laughs> i hope i hope that future urasawa will be able to keep the who's rocket keep doing who's rocket man but we can have one segment carry that would be a perfect one god yeah. wouldn't that be like if there's somebody rocking <laughs> there might be i don't know i don't know it might be monster specific we'll have to find who out who knows yeah <laughs> it's one of our best though i think it's one of our best um, bits. yeah oh okay um matt you know what we did not do last episode what uh we didn't plug the patreon Oh yeah, we should play the we Patreon. We should probably, you know what, Matt, we've gone through this entire show. We've posted like one thing on the Patreon. Uh, I'll have you know it was two things. Oh, <laughs> wowie, was it, was it really? But uh, only two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, gotta, we should, we, we have some stuff we're gonna we can post. Re- Here's the thing that we can post. Do you have your notes typed? I do, all of my notes Okay, we'll just put our notes into PDF and we can Great. release our collected notes. That's one thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, And then I have, I there's an episode of uh maintaining balance that we did on the bear that i have edited i just haven't released so i mean i can put that oh up my God. this week get, get that get that up um so that's uh that's at patreon.com slash urasawa boys we're also on twitter at urasawa boys uh but no one uses twitter um no. we have we here's, here's we the thing uh i i have an invite code i'll set one up here's the thing okay. that i do actually want to um Here's the, here's the thing I want to say. I haven't talked to you about this, but I, I think this is the thing we should do. Um, oh. So we, we've talked about how we're going to do a wrap-up episode. Yeah. Uh, oh, if you questions. Have, questions. Yeah, if you have questions, questions or topics, um, our email is urasawaboys at gmail.com. That's, uh, I'll just I'll spell it out very quickly. Uh, you, I mean, you know how to spell Urasawa Boys because it's the name of the podcast, but it's U-R-A-S-A-W-A-B-O-Y-S at gmail.com. Um, if you send us uh, questions or topics of discussion, because uh, I had some thoughts of things that we can do. We've had things that have come up over the show, like, okay, if we were going to do fan castings or, you know, and, and different variations on that or, or thoughts about adaptations, you know, there's, we'll put together a list of topics to discuss. If you have anything that you think would be fun, um, email that to us and uh, we, will, we will add that to the doc. Um, other than that, I think I think that's like the that's the where you can find us as a unit. Um, right. Quinn, where can the people? Yeah, find yeah. you individually. Where can, where can they find me? Um, you can find me on uh, Blue Sky. I just started calling it Beeski. Beeski is fun to say. In my head, yeah, Beeski. Um, and that's how the links look online. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm I'm there. I'm there on Beeski at two hundred proof games. That's two zero zero proof games. You can find my TTRPG work. Also at uh, 200proof.itch.io, um, you can find Travel Not Advised, my isolation horror game. You can find Any Percent, my tarot-based speedrunning game. Um, and I've got some other stuff in the works that I'm having just a ball working on. Um, but I would say that's kind of, that's, that's, my, that's my main deal. Matt, what about you? Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find uh, my blog is at blarple.net, B-L-A-R-P-L-E.net. Um, you can find me also on 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 Blue Sky on Beeski. I'm Matt Finnell there. Um, Elf nonsense is coming soon. It will be after I do this race where I will uh, physically destroy my body uh, in Vermont. Yeah. Uh, yeah. After that, because uh, I'm gonna there's a it's a long drive up there, so I'm gonna be reading elf books on the on the drive up. 
Um, because I'm I'm going with a friend. I'm not going to be reading while ask. driving. Was, was, yeah, 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 yeah. So when it's not my turn to drive, I will I will be reading. Is is where we're at. Um, but Elf Nonsense is coming. Uh, Matt Fennell, that is where I am. Correct. Take us out. Well, well, folks. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that I want to thank you for reading. Well, hmm. see, that's why I said I was only pretty sure. Because actually, I don't want to thank you for reading. I mean, it'd be great if you did. Like, that's awesome. Um, but what I really want to thank you for, actually, uh, now that I've got my, my uh, sea legs under me, is I would really, really like to thank you for listening. And even more than that, I would say, uh, I want to thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend.